11 a day zero update for january 9th 2022 i'm your host chris logie i'm brandon perkins and i'm dan red victorio and yeah we're finally back from holiday break you're hoping to start up uh last weekend but some schedule stuff happened yep but uh we're back uh we got some news to talk about not too much but uh, one of the big major events that would be normally happening later this year uh, made the uh, reasonable decision not to happen as an in-person event. We'll tell you which one that is. Mm-hmm. Uh, we had some big news at CES uh, from PlayStation. We'll tell you what that is all about. Mm-hmm. Uh, we have two companies getting into NFTs that are taking very different approaches. Yeah. Uh, then we got a couple things happening here pretty soon, uh, as well as we can tell you about what stuff you can play on your various subscription services. Mm-hmm. And we'll cap it off by talking about our staff top 10 games of the year. Mm-hmm. Uh, if you have not checked the site yet, we'll tell you what's been, uh, what made the list. Mm. Talk about the games as we get to there. So uh, we'll start off by talking about what we've been playing. I'll kick it off here. I've uh, been mm-hmm. playing Dirt 5 on the PS5, which is one of the PlayStation Plus games. Mm-hmm. Uh, enjoying it a lot. Playing it on a DualSense, it definitely has some of the, uh, you know, the, the haptic feedback and a little bit of resistance in the triggers. Uh, I would say maybe just from what I've played, uh, WRC 9 is probably a little bit better in that stuff. Mm-hmm. Uh, World Rally Championship. I haven't tried 10 yet, uh, but if you can catch it on sale and are want to check out more of a hardcore sort of rally racing game, uh, that one does some really neat stuff with that, uh, the dual sense mm-hmm. stuff. And usually when it's on sale, it's like under 10 bucks, so it's not mm-hmm. too much of a high cost there. But Dirt 5, you know, it's a bit more, uh, a bit more relaxed chill kind of game compared to I think at least Dirt 4 which is a bit more semi mm. uh, to it uh, you know a lot of the races it's been presenting the nice thing is they give you like three like goals to get uh, for some extra bonuses and uh, you can use a thousand of your whatever Dirt coins to re-roll it which is good because there's some of the goals that are maybe not the greatest. A lot of, they have, for whatever reason, a bunch are like, ah, you know, while you're drifting, you know, hit another car. Mm. And and what constitutes a drift is not necessarily what maybe feels like a drift in the, in the game. Mm -hmm. I can be very picky about that stuff. Uh, So there's uh, different things that it'll ask you to do while you're drifting. And it's like, drifting's hard enough as it is. Doesn't need to add more to it. Uh, except when I got to, I got these like sprint cars that are, you know, kind of the like zigzag fins on top of them. Mm-hmm. Uh, those will drift all the time if you let them. Mm-hmm. You have to constantly fight them. But uh, that was one of the ones I was trying out. But yeah, that game game's still fun. Well worth checking out, especially at PS Plus. Uh, even if mm-hmm. not, it's been on sale for ten bucks or less. Uh, fairly recent, so definitely worth grabbing at some point. Mm-hmm. Uh, let's see, been playing some Shovel Knight Pocket Dungeon. Uh, the newest Shovel Knight game came out a few weeks ago. 
uh, did a stream with that as well. And that is very much a, uh, what if you took Shovel Knight and put him in kind of a roguelike puzzler? Uh, you're kind of moving around this board as you're moving. Stuff is dropping with each step. Or if you just stand still, it'll drop a little slower. Mm-hmm. Uh, items that are, you go bump into things to do damage to them. If it's mm-hmm. like dirt, uh, it takes one hit. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's some enemies that are one hit as well. Like there's slimes that will leave like a poison uh, path behind. So you kind of mm-hmm. have to watch out for some of that kind of stuff. There are different kinds of slimes that I've seen. Uh, different enemies take more damage. You also take damage, so you have to grab potions on the map, that kind of thing to deal with that. So there's a lot of stuff there, and they do have some good sort of accessibility options to that, uh, so you can tell it to uh, give you more lives because the the base roguelite difficulty, you die once and you have to start over on that run, whereas you can turn it up so that you can have multiple deaths until the board is full of stuff and you have no means of dealing with it. Mm-hmm. Uh, that kind of thing. But there's lots of little secrets in there. Obviously, keys and chests drop down. So you have to go grab the key and then take it to the chest to open it up and get maybe a special item that gives you, you know, bonus damage or some other bonuses. Uh, or you might get one that is a, an actually a shop lets you you know, upgrade your health or other bonuses, that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. So when you go back to your base camp between runs, uh, you can buy perks and stuff that'll show up in those things uh, from mm-hmm. time to time, sort of add more more stuff to the, the drops. Mm-hmm. So it's pretty well done for what it is. It's 20 bucks. Uh, you face some, seems like most of the bosses from regular Shovel Knights in there, and you can, when you beat them, they can be... Uh, characters that you can jump into so that is uh and they play differently much like in shovel knight when you had the different campaigns for those different characters uh they control differently the different characters control uh differently the plague knight was one of the ones i unlocked Mm. uh king Knight was sort of the first one you play uh but it seems like on successive runs they'll throw other bosses into that first slot uh, the second boss ended up being the same one whenever I got to him, but I didn't beat him, so so I have to work my way around to that. But uh, that game's pretty fun for what it is. It's uh, 20 bucks out now, worth checking out. Uh, like Shovel Knight or like Roguelites, Puzzlers, that kind of stuff. Uh, definitely worth uh, keeping an eye on that one. Uh, and the other day I did like a, on Friday, I did a Friday night grab bag stream where I played a handful of games. Mm-hmm. Uh, played some stuff that was pretty cheap over the holidays. Uh, one of the ones I grabbed was Taxi Chaos that I kind of oh. liked a lot. That very much is trying to be Crazy Taxi, but it's kind of doing yeah. some of its own things. Uh, there are two characters that you start off with. I assume you might be able to unlock more. Uh, there are different vehicles with their own stats and all that that you unlock by accomplishing different goals. Uh, as you're picking up characters, you can run into like unique characters that open up these quests for finding their collectibles. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't know what they, what you get out of that necessarily, but those are some additional things in there. Like from the start, you can jump with your vehicle. Mm. Uh, so there's some fun in that. Uh, but yeah, you're just picking up uh, people, taking them to where they want to go. 
They'll sometimes chat with you about where they're going, that kind of stuff. Not the most polished game or maybe the most exciting game, but it does pretty good with what it's uh, got there. So I'll probably keep checking it out. Uh, that's been that. And uh, the New Year's stream, I played a bunch of fights in tight spaces. I uh, got to the final fights of the campaign, uh, which are very hard because they uh, you're basically... You're an Agent Eleven, uh, and you're facing the original Agent Eleven, who has gone rogue, uh, and all this, and you're fighting them in this plane. Different stages set in the plane, uh, and you have different things going on. Uh, the nice thing is that when you die, you don't have to start all over again, but you can retry on that stage. Uh, maybe the one uh, thing that makes it tough is that the cards you have that drop are drop in the same order. Uh, at least to the points I've been. Uh, so this is not necessarily a luck of the draw kind of thing there, but uh, that's uh, it's getting pretty tough. I'm going to keep trying. I'm on the last fight, but uh, the nice thing is those earlier fights, uh, you don't have to beat the Agent Eleven over and over again. Uh, you just have mm -hmm. to do damage to him. So you're going to have to be very specific with the way you're doing things, but... Yeah, that's been a lot of fun, and uh, that's been pretty much it for me. How about you, Brandon? Uh, well, <clears throat> as for me, uh, and I should go ahead and already say this because uh, I did it on Let's Weekend. Uh, guess who didn't get a PS5 for Christmas this year? Me. Yeah. <laughs> uh, the good news, though, fortunately, is um, I am in the process of getting an Xbox Series S. So... That is the sort of bright side to it. Um, and let's be honest, that's really the only console I can get right now because it's literally the only console anybody can get their friggin' hands on. Um, but, yeah. Um, my uh, family said that they're going to try and get me one for my birthday this year, which is uh, a little under a month from now, but we'll see how that goes. Anyway, as far as gaming goes, um, I've been playing Borderlands the pre-sequel because I've been still been taking you know advantage of my PS Now subscription. Um, for uh, those who are not familiar with what the pre-sequel is, it's the game that they made between Borderlands Two and Borderlands Three. It's called a pre-sequel because it technically the the story is told sort of in media, you know from the from the future in the past because it the it's someone that's telling a story after the end of Borderlands two but they're telling the events of what happened between Borderlands one and two and basically it tells you the story of why Handsome Jack wants these Vault Hunters dead and specifically you know why he became this big figure that he becomes you know by the time you get to play Borderlands two. Basically, um, Handsome Jack is this, really, he's just Jack. He's this, like, low-level programmer in Hyperion who is the first person to let his superiors know that, you know, the huge, that giant H space station that, you know, you see all the time in Borderlands 2 that it's been uh, taken over by this group called the Lost Legion um, that is obsessed with blowing up 
the moon uh, that hovers around Pandora because apparently they think there's some kind of uh, ancient evil in the vault that's in the middle of the moon that could destroy not only Pandora, but the whole galaxy. So Jack hires a bunch of um, vault hunters, one of which is, you know, you get to play one of them, or four of them, you know, depending if you got folks to play with. And your job is to, you know, go to the the moon, basically, uh, where most of the game takes place, and uh, try to get rid of the leak, find a way to turn off the uh, the huge laser that, you know, the Hyperion space station uses, uh, because the Legion is trying to literally crack the moon in half, um, and then go to the vault and try and find what's down there. Um, the difference between, you know, a regular Borderlands game and the pre-sequel is that because it takes place mostly on the moon, that means that you're largely operating with low G, so you can make these enormous, huge jumps. Um, and you also can uh, use... Uh, they're, they're not... You, you can kind of call them jetpacks, but they're not really jetpacks. They just kind of let you hover in the air a little bit. You know, you fall slowly, basically. Uh, but the problem at the same time is because it's a moon, that means there's no oxygen. So you're, at least when starting out, you're having to make sure that you have enough oxygen at any given time. Because once you run out of oxygen, your health bar starts slowly decreasing. Um, and this is an issue starting out because, uh, starting out, the tank that you end up getting does not really have a large, uh, space in it. So you're kind of constantly having to zip from area to area, making sure you're constantly replenishing your oxygen. However, as the game goes on, um, not only can you get, you know, new tanks that are bigger and can, you know, can store more oxygen, but the enemies you end up fighting, most of them often have cans of oxygen on them. So, you know, when you're fighting, it's generally not a hassle where you're constantly having to fight a couple guys and then zip back to get oxygen because most of those guys have oxygen on them that you can absorb. Um, also, the fun thing about the moon is that it's basically Australia. Uh, um, basically, everybody on the moon has an Australian accent. Um, all of the enemy types that, you know, that you're familiar with on Pandora are here too, but they've been renamed. So like uh, psychos are called lunatics. Uh, Raiders are called scavs, short for scavengers, um, you know, stuff like that. Um, other than that, you know, it is very much just an extension of Borderlands 2. Uh, but it's really fun. It's actually really fun. Um, and I just like Borderlands, so more Borderlands is great for me. Um, and the other that is uh, one of the things I did get for Christmas is a copy of Metroid Dread. So I've been playing Metroid Dread and enjoying it. And encountering a couple of times when I want to take my controller and snap it in half because of those... Well, you know. <laughs> you played the game, you know exactly what it is that's frustrating me. But, uh... Yeah. Um, basically, I am happy that they're sort of bringing this part of the Metroid story arc to a close. Um, and I do like the idea of them having these enemies that are essentially you know, indestructible, so it gives a kind of heightened uh, sense of dr dread, hence the title to it. But going up against two or three of those fucking things at once is damn near impossible to deal with. But, uh, 
yeah, that's basically what I've been playing. So, Dan Reb, what about you? Yeah, um, I just wanted to say, well, if you are getting an Xbox Series, congratulations. I mean, like, last year alone just showed, like, how great the Xbox could be, like, thanks to Halo and a whole bunch of things. Yeah, well, like um, I yeah, said, it's I, a Series S, not a Series X, so... Oh, no, I said S, but okay, I don't, whatever, yeah. Um, yeah, I'm getting a Series S. Remember, Series S is the digital one, which is fine. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, like, especially if you don't have a 4K TV, like, S would probably be the way to go. Yeah, I don't have a 4K TV. I have a, I have an, I have an HD but it's tiny. Yeah. There you go then. Yeah, plus I just, uh, you know, the only issue with it is that, you know, I, I visit GameStop a lot, and I use my GameStop points a lot for stuff like that, and I can't use it with an, with a digital console. But, uh, you know, yeah. I'll figure it out. Yeah, and either way, I mean, if, if you get Game Pass, like, you're great. Yeah. Speaking of Game Pass, uh, those are, I'm, I'm playing two games on Game Pass right now. Like, the Xbox, as, as of right now, is my primary console. Mm-hmm. Um, I've been playing this indie game called Unpacking. Yeah. Um, this is from, uh, the, from, from the Humble Crew. And, I don't know, like, it's, it's definitely a really chill title. Um, yeah. But I thought I would like it a little more than I currently do. Mm. And um, my problem is, so this game is all about, you know, you move into a new new place, so you have to like unpack your boxes and go ahead and decorate your room or your house or your dorm, whatever it may be. And there's sort of a narrative structure to it. Like the game starts off in like 1997, you're a kid or uh, setting up that room, and then it moves on to 2004 where you move to college and set up your own dorm and you want to unpack stuff and put things there. And throughout all these years, you're finding some new things because you know you're growing up. And at the same time, you're also seeing some familiar things. You're seeing stuff like stuffed toys and things like that. And all of this is pretty cool, but what I'm not liking is the fact that a lot of them go in very specific places in your house or your room. And I'm not a very good interior decorator myself. Um, I don't have the most organized room, though I do think I'm an organized person. Like, you know, my... My video games are actually like um, on the shelf, alphabetized by console. Um, but yeah, with, with with this particular game, it's like okay, your your stuffed toys are supposed to go on the bed. Your books are gonna go in the bookshelf. Uh, your Rubik's cube is gonna go on top of your desk, and things like that. Not everything has to be put in a specific place, but the fact that there are is the puzzle. And um, I have to look up a fact just to like understand where things are because otherwise I wouldn't know, and that's why I'm stuck in level two, which is the 2004 dorm. And mm-hmm. um, yeah, it's frustrating. So you can't turn it off part. if you want. What was that? You can't turn that off if you want. I can turn the puzzle back. in the. You just oh. turn it off unless you put it wherever you want and continue. And then you, you can, just won't and then get you can move achievements. On? Yeah. Ah. Oh, I did not know that. Completing that. Gotcha. And then, uh, like, that, that's also my other problem with the game. Like, when I pause it, I don't actually know what everything does. Because I remember trying to pause it, I end up on photo mode, and then I'd be pressing B, and then i back out all the way back to the game's start screen, and I'm like, what the hell's going on here? So, yeah, the UI is kind of confusing in that regard. So Yeah, I imagine that's probably much better. Mouth- but yeah, that's that, that's about it with uh, unpacking. Like, I'm I'm, I'm going to continue, but... So far, I've been having a frustrating experience when it's supposed to be chill. Um, moving on, uh, I've, I've, I've also been playing a lot of Psychonauts 2. And um, we're going to talk about it a little bit later. But um, just to talk about my own game of the year list, um, Psychonauts 2 was put in the middle somewhere. And that's actually a game that caused the overall rankings to change. Because, man, um, 
I remember I started playing Psychonauts 1 a few months ago in preparation for Psychonauts 2, and it just hasn't aged well. Like, the, the, the gameplay is actually, you know, it's fine, but the problem is, yeah. like, the, 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 the look is just overall yucky. And Yeah, it was, I mean, you can tell it was very much a game of the, uh, you know, the Xbox and PS2 okay. era. PS2 Xbox era and like again like the the actual controls were fine what I didn't like uh was the visuals especially in the sense where where depth is important like I would be and I'd miss because I don't know if I jumped too late or jumped too early and that led to a whole lot of unnecessary deaths and you know granted we're better in that era but yeah uh it really hasn't aged well in that regard so luckily with Psychonauts 2 they did pretty much summarize you know what happened in that game like from the get-go and man, the the polish in Psychonauts two is is, is 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 totally impressive. Like the the, the art style is great. The levels all have some fantastic theming. The hub world uh, of the Psychonauts is like just uh, really fun to explore. Mm-hmm. And you know, um, being able to find all these um, or uh, uh, unlock all the power ups and use them in the different ways is definitely a fun thing. And um, I'm I'm also really enjoying uh, both the challenge as well as like how the game, like, handles death. Um, you know, sometimes, uh, or for example, with, with It Takes Two, when you die in the game, you pretty much respawn where you died. Whereas with Psychonauts 2, uh, you pretty much respawn where you died up to a number of times, and all of a sudden, like, you know, if you literally lose all of your health, then you pretty much start the level from where it last saved. And, um, yeah, it's, 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 it's pretty fair, and at the same time, like, pretty old school, and I'm, I'm, I'm liking that overall feel. So, yeah, Psychonauts 2 ended up on my top 10 list, uh, kicking out, um, I believe it was uh, some some JRPG, I forget. But yeah, so Psychonauts 2 was really fun. And um, honestly, that's pretty much it. I do want to jump back into uh, uh, Pokemon just so I can like um, really appreciate Sinnoh more as we get into uh, the new one coming out, Arceus. So yeah, that's pretty much it there. All right, so yeah, let's get to uh, the new uh, subscription stuff for this month. We'll start with PlayStation Plus. As I mentioned, Dirt 5 is one of the games. Uh, You can Mm -hmm. get the PS5 and the PS4 version uh, for that, so you can check out that uh, more of a sim arcade kind of rally racing game Mm -hmm. Uh, with plenty of its nice style and all that to it. Uh, Yeah. I don't think they put the DLC on sale, so I don't I don't know what they're doing there. Uh, but let's see. Also, is sort of the the new release is Deep Rock Galactic. Mm-hmm. Deep Rock Galactic. That is a uh, PS5, PS4. Uh, it's been out in early access on PC and I think Xbox for a while, and I think it just came out in 1.0. Mm. Uh, so you can check that out. That's one of those uh, sort of co-op uh, FPS games where you can go uh, mining for, you know, resources to upgrade things, I assume, uh, fighting monsters and such in these sort of cave systems. Yeah. That kind of stuff is your a group of trolls. Trolls or elves or orcs or mm. some little dudes, whatever. But uh, you get to do your thing, fight monsters, collect resources, all that kind of stuff. So seems like a fun little co-op game there. Uh, and the third game is... Persona 5 Strikers, mm. the Muso Persona 5 game that is maybe one of the more striking of those games. 
mm-hmm. that they've done the sort of spin-offs of other games because it's you know still got the persona stuff in there you're gathering personas that you can use to help you out with special move moves and all that kind of stuff a story that takes place after persona 5 and all that so i've heard mm-hmm. plenty of good things for that so i made sure to download that yeah it's a pretty shocking uh release because that game isn't even a year old yet um that game was also in my top 10 for the longest time until other games that I took it out at the end of the year. But yeah, um, the, the only like weakness to that game, in my opinion, is the fact that it ignores Persona 5 Royal. So if you're someone that grabbed Persona 5 Royal on sale like you know a few weeks ago, or now even, um, what you did won't matter. Yeah, there's that for those three games. Uh, let's see, for games with gold, uh, the ones that are available right now, there is Neurovoider. Mm-hmm. Uh, which I believe is a sort of a dual stick shooter kind of game. You can play in co-op uh, with friends if you want. Uh, just play it solo. Mm. Uh, it's available as of January 1st. Uh, for January 16th, there's a ground, mm. which I don't really know too much about. It looks like a crafting and building game, survival kind of game. So uh, that's could be pretty neat. That'll be available January 16th. Uh, mm-hmm. Available right now for the BC stuff, there's Radiant Silver Gun, mm-hmm. a classic shmup uh, from Treasure. Yeah. Uh, seems like they added a Ikaruga style shooting mode. Mm-hmm. I don't know why you want to make it harder. Yeah. In there, but sure. Uh, the other one is Space Invaders Infinity Gene on January 16th. That game is a fantastic uh, sort of a reimagining of Space Invaders as more of just a shmup, mm-hmm. uh, but with a really nice style to it. Uh, lots of stages and neat ways they play around with uh, the Space Invaders sort of formula to it that uh, surprising that game hasn't been like iterated on in sort of a new way since then. Mm. Even the Space Invaders collection does not have that game in it. Uh, for whatever reason, it has the other stuff they've done, but not Infinity Gene. That was a game that was mobile as well. And that mm-hmm. was a a great version, other than the fact that you were covering up your uh, part of your screen with your finger to drag the ship around, which is not a great way you want to deal with a shmup. That's uh, a pretty good list there for games with gold. And we'll get to the other services, PlayStation Now. For January, they have Mortal Kombat 11. Mm-hmm. Uh, the base game doesn't seem to have an end date, so it seems like it's going to be there for the for the foreseeable future. Mm-hmm. Uh, you can check out the latest of the Mortal Kombat games. Mm-hmm. Let's see, Final Fantasy 12: The Zodiac Age. Yep. Which features a number of improvements on yep. the original. Stuff they did as like a special edition in Japan mm-hmm. afterwards. And plus some just modernization stuff to it. Yep. Uh, let's see, there's Fury Unleashed, which mm-hmm. is a comic book style roguelike. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's that. There's Unturned, which is sort of a voxel-y, uh, yeah, open-world sandbox zombie-infested game. So you're kind of yeah, finding weapons, supplies, survive against zombies, getting experience points, stuff, all that kind of stuff. So 24 people on a, on a server, mm-hmm. uh, online server, to fight zombies and all that, so it seems like a recipe for a lot of chaos there. Yeah. Uh, let's see, Super Time Force Ultra, 
that is a, a game from I think Capybara Games. Mm-hmm. Uh, very fun little action platformer with like a whole time traveling thing where you're uh, playing as like one life, uh, playing through the stage as much as you can. When you die, you kind of get reset uh, as another character that then can help maybe that original character get past obstacles, that kind of stuff. Mm. Uh, so you're kind of using these various lives uh, with these characters to uh, work your way through a stage and take out enemies uh, more quickly and all that kind of stuff. Uh, very much a silly kind of game, so that's worth checking out. And there's also Kerbal Space Program Enhanced Edition, mm-hmm. uh, the console version of Kerbal Space Program. Well worth checking out if you're into sort of space stuff. Put together rockets and vehicles and all that kind of stuff to you know try and get out in space and land on the moon or various other planets in this Kerbal uh, solar system. Mm. Uh, with increasing difficulty and all that kind of stuff, so that game's a lot of fun. So yeah, some good stuff there for the month mm. for PlayStation Now. That is all available now. Uh, and then Game Pass. Let's see what we got here. Yeah, available as of today. There's Gorogoa, mm-hmm. a sort of artsy puzzle game with sort of these hand-drawn uh, illustrations that you're messing around with. Mm. There's Olegia. Uh not sure what sort of game that is. Action adventure kind of game. Let's see, there's the pedestrian, mm-hmm. which I've talked about before on PS5. It's sort of a 2.5D puzzle platformer kind of thing, but uh, all these stages are designed like signs that you would see, mm-hmm. traffic signs of a sort. And occasionally you have to rearrange the signs to set up where doors enter and exit that kind of stuff and all that kind of stuff. It does a really good job with all of that sort of stuff. Let's see. Also available now, there's Ember. The mm-hmm. I'm not sure it's still an early access Ember is, but it's a uh, firefighting game. Essentially, you can play with friends or play solo, uh, whatever, kind of very physics-y kind of thing. So you can check that out. That guy is one of the uh, Curve games. Uh, let's see. Mass Effect Legendary Edition is on EA Play, which means it's also on Game Pass, but also if you're on EA Play on the other platforms, that is also available now to check out. I downloaded that on my PS5. Uh, so you can check that out. It has you know the first three Mass Effect games uh, with all the DLC that they could get in there. I think that one of the ones for the original Mass Effect did, did not have the code for it. Mm-hmm. Uh, let's see, there's Outer Wilds returning to Game Pass. It was on there for launch for a while. Uh, it mm-hmm. went down and now it's back up again, so you can check that out. Uh, Splunky 2 seems to finally be coming to Xbox as of January 13th. Mm-hmm. That'll be on Game Pass. You can check that one out. And yeah, going into early access is the Anacrusis. Mm-hmm. Uh, that is yeah, going to be uh, available day one as of going into game preview. That's sort of a four-player cooperative FPS uh, from a bunch of people that worked on uh, Left 4 Dead. Mm-hmm. Uh, Chet Felicic, who wrote a lot of this stuff for the Left 4 Dead, is working on this with mm-hmm. some other people. So it's that kind of thing, but with aliens and on spaceships and such. Yep. 
so yeah, there's that, and that's largely it for this early part of what they're doing. So some nice stuff there to check out mm-hmm. as well. So there you go. There's your your subscription stuff for uh, most of this month. Mm-hmm. Yeah, again, like huge time to be on the Xbox train right now. Yeah, I'm definitely gonna get get a uh, download uh Persona Five Strikers because I have never actually gotten around to that, and now I don't have to pay any money to get it. So. Yep. Well, Why not give it a shot now while I can? I've said it before. Persona 5 Strikers is the best Kingdom Hearts game of all time. <laughs> yep. So, yeah, let's get to the the one release date we have here. Mm-hmm. Uh, Nobody Saves the World, the new game from the uh, Drinkbox Studios guys, the Guacamelee guys, uh, is finally coming out January 18th uh, for Xbox Series XS, Xbox One, and PC. On Steam, I guess it's not going to be on PC Game Pass, mm-hmm. uh, from the way they're saying it here. But that is a sort of Zelda-style action RPG, but you can uh, sort of take on different characters, I guess, mm-hmm. uh, with different abilities and all that kind of stuff to go at these different goals and such. So that'll be interesting yep. to see. And I got Jim Guthrie doing the uh, soundtrack. He's done a lot of stuff like Sword and Sorcery and Below. A uh, bunch of games, so they got to be on Game Pass as well. So yeah, that's one to check out here in the next week or so. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. Also coming to Xbox is Ubisoft Plus. Of course, the subscription service where you can pay. I think it's there's not really much in the way of details as far as if they are increasing that, decreasing that, or anything. I assume it's going to still be the same. Uh, but for that fifteen bucks, you get the uh, all of the games at launch. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think even the special edition versions, whatever. So any of those bonuses as well. Mm. Should hope for how much that that is as a service. Mm. Uh, it's not going to be part of Game Pass where they announced all this in one uh, one sort of announcement. Confused people on this stuff. Mm-hmm. That's a separate service uh, for that. But also as part of the this series of announcements, they announced that Tom Clancy's Rainbow Six Quarantine is going to be coming to Game Pass at launch. Mm. I think it's Xbox and PC, but I could be wrong. Might just be Xbox, but yeah, if you need a, another sort of multiplayer cooperative game to play with friends, there's another way to check that out. Mm-hmm. So yeah, there's yeah. that. So that is going to be out January... 20th? Mm-hmm. Yeah, January 20th. That's when that is out, so about two weeks from now. All right. Yep, so there's that. And yeah, before the end of the year, the producer of Final Fantasy 16, Naoki Yoshida, mm-hmm. uh, published a message on the uh, Twitter page for uh, the game, mm-hmm. basically saying that they were uh, talking about having more information for people by the end of this year, as mm-hmm. in 2021. Uh, but yet, as he said, however, I read to inform you that I will be unable to keep that promise as complications stemming from the ongoing COVID 19 pandemic have delayed the game's development by almost half a year. Mm-hmm. And they say they're going to have more to talk about here by spring of 2022 uh, and hoping to build excitement leading up to the game's eventual release. 
I assume planning by the surprising that it wasn't going to be out by the end of last year or anything because it's. I mean, you know, I mean, at least it seems to be on a better trajectory than Final Fantasy Fifteen was, because that one was. Well, I mean, honestly, we're just to come together the way it did at the last minute. Yep. Yeah, hopefully we get to see a good bit when they do show it off next and uh, make it easier to understand why this game hopefully is going to be a big deal. Mm-hmm. In the way that kind of Final Fantasy... Yeah. When that launched, it was kind of like, oh, thank God, finally it's, it's, it's out so we don't have to deal with that anymore. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's, and also this is the guy that you know, helped get Final Fantasy fourteen to where it is. Mm-hmm. So if we can pull off some of this magic with a, a mainline series game. Yeah. So yeah, there's that. Uh, but yeah, CES happened. Mm-hmm. Not really much to say about mm-hmm. that. Like, the the other big thing was like, oh, there's new graphics cards you won't be able to get. Mm-hmm. Those people. Uh, but Sony had their thing, and generally most every year they do maybe mention that they have you know, still do PlayStation stuff, and that's going well and all that, but nothing ever really gets announced. Mm-hmm. Uh, but here, they finally announced something uh, that their next gen of PlayStation VR is going to be called PlayStation VR 2. Mm-hmm. Uh, the controllers are called Sense Controllers. Mm-hmm. I was technically PlayStation VR 2 Sense Controllers, but I was calling them Sense Controllers, sort of. Falling off of having uh, some of the same tech that is in the DualSense controllers. Mm-hmm. Uh, they had put out a number of bits of information about the uh, the tech that is inside of these things. Mm-hmm. Uh, the PSVR offers 4K HDR, 110 degree field of view, and foveated rendering. Uh, so it has an OLED display. So mm-hmm. that each eye has uh, a 2000 by 2040 pixel per eye and smooth frame rates of 90 to 128 hertz mm-hmm. uh, there's headset based controller tracking so it has inside out tracking means it has little cameras in the headset so it yeah. can sort of follow follow what you're doing what your controllers are doing uh, and also be able to I assume it'll be able to let you know if you are near any of the shit or whatever uh, so you can hopefully avoid, you know, knocking stuff over. Uh, the way the other ones tend to work is they you set up the boundaries and it tells you when you're getting close to those boundaries, that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, so there's that. Uh, let's see. Yeah, the Sense controllers have uh, all the sort of haptic feedback and uh, adaptive triggers and all that kind of stuff to them. Nothing really too much new to add about that. The headset's able to do... At- uh, eye tracking headset feedback, so I have some some sort of rumble in the headset itself, which, from what I've read, probably has more to do with trying to help with the sort of motion sickness stuff. Mm-hmm. So to give you a little additional feedback to help your brain nuts get too weird on you. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'll have 3D audio uh, for that. Uh, let's see what else they mentioned here. Yeah, the eye tracking detects motion of your eyes, so you can look at different parts of the screen, and it's able to put more rendering into wherever you're looking, so that mm. uh, 
take some resources away from everything mm -hmm. look better without necessarily having to have a ton of resourcing uh, for building everything. They posted yeah. all the specs here for all that stuff. In case you're wondering what that is all about, but no real uh, dates or price or anything like that for that yet. I assume that'll happen later this year. Seems mm. like it's heading towards a fall 2022 release. And part of that whole announcement is they also revealed that there's a new Horizon game. Mm -hmm. Horizon Call of the Mountain for PlayStation VR 2. Mm. Uh, the, there's a little video there where the director of Horizon Forbidden West is talking about uh, finishing up the uh, finishing up that game and mm -hmm. they have something new that they're working on for yep. VR. Set in the World of Horizon. Mm. Uh, not sure if it's the original games area or the new games area, but you are playing as a new character. Mm -hmm. uh, you'll meet uh, various various familiar characters. I mentioned Aloy as well, so a bunch of that stuff. But it's very much a uh, teaser mm -hmm. of what's going on in this game. So people are getting all worked up, saying it's in a experience or whatever. Mm -hmm. It's like, I don't know, it's not even just barely got announced, so yeah. calm down, people. Seriously. Uh, but yeah, let's see. Oh yeah. E3 usually happens in the summer. Yeah. Uh, except for the last two years where it's been more of a digital event. Mm -hmm. And that's not going to change this year. They've announced that they are canceling the in-person event. Uh, shifting mm. it to an online-only showcase. And no real details beyond that. Mm -hmm. But making the smart move to not try to force everybody together for a big whole event when the extent of all this uh, coronavirus stuff is still shaky at this point. Mm -hmm. Which is good. It's. Mm -hmm. I don't think it's going to be really affect anything. Mm-hmm. Other just having some weird event that's going to... Yeah. Um, honestly, this makes perfect sense. I don't blame them for doing it. Um, but, uh, you know, I do... Uh, honestly, though, it's kind of like... It, it, in some ways, it's just kind of also just another nail in the coffin of E3 relevance. I can see that. Yeah, it's just, I mean... Eventually, like, I, I honestly am coming to the conclusion that I think all, at some point all of these big expos are going to end up being almost if not completely digital they're largely going to you know push most of their stuff to internet only yeah i mean like looking at all this from like you know the publisher and developer side um there really isn't a whole lot of people within the industry on that side of the spectrum that really care um much about um e3 to that sort of extent i mean at the, mm -hmm. at the end of the day it's really for the public um in order to like really get excited for like what's going to happen. But at the same time, E3 is important in order to get those business deals, like with the, um, the storefronts and whatnot, because a lot of those meetings do happen behind the scenes. But given, you know, the way the world is now, like, you know, we, we do have to <clears throat> make everything digital in that regard. So whether it's zoom meetings and stuff like that, I'd imagine that's how the industry moves on from there. But as far as like not having a full-on E3 like to the way we expect in person, yeah, it's rough. At the same time, it's a pandemic, and you know we have to get through it. And the problem is, you know, as much light as we saw at the end of the tunnel last year, 
obviously this year with the Omicron variant, just it's 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 rough. I mean, like I don't I don't want to go ahead and go go through the rabbit hole there, but like the the reason we're in this mess in the first place is because unfortunately the United States as well as the rest of the world hasn't taken the vaccine all that seriously, and all of a sudden here's here here are these new variants. But anyway, again, just 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 to avoid all that, um, I'm someone who likes E3 for like the hype that it generates for the general public, like, you know, being able to be sitting there um, in front of the stage while seeing something like, you know, Twilight Princess uh, get announced is like huge stuff. Those, the, the, those are memories that'll remain with me like forever because like you're, you're seeing like all these games that you care about and know we'll have fun with be there. And I can't help but feel like it, it all just feels a little downgraded um, from, from what we're used to. Um, I don't really know what the um, what the direction really should be. Granted, last year we saw every company like do their own Nintendo Direct or PlayStation State of Play, but at the same time, it seems like only Nintendo really knows how to do that, and it makes sense because they were the first ones to actually do it this way. But you know what? There 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 has to be a way for um, the people in marketing to go ahead and make these presentations worth the time like last year there were a whole bunch of random talks at at e3 that like had nothing to do with anything and you know they would be fine for like a worldwide conference and things like that but when we're talking about e3 which is something that's supposed to excite the industry that's not going to cut it and um, Mm -hmm. it's, it's, it's tough to see in that regard and another thing that's really bring e3 down is the whole beef that the esa has with um or it's not even the ESA. It's 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 that 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 Keeley has with the ESA. Granted, like the ESA has done nothing to um, you know, uh, earn any trust from anybody, especially out of the last few years. Like given out all of our contact and whatnot. Luckily, nothing has happened to us. But um, yeah, like <laughs> separating summer of gaming and E3 is not good business for either of those two products. Mm-hmm. And you're not going to see very much growth or excitement there because at the end of the day, they're serving the same purpose and you're just confusing, you know, uh, the lines that were drawn here. And when we should be just celebrating everything the way we did with the game awards, another mm-hmm. thing that can runs. So yeah, it's, 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 it's really tough to see in this regards. Um, of, of course, um, with the global pandemic, you know, this is, this is a decision that um, had to be made. I just hope that whoever does decide to participate actually has something rather than like having a company be there just for the sake of being there. Because like it, it all goes back to the complaint where do we, do we really have the time and money to do this? And if the answer is no, don't go, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. It'll be interesting to see how plans are going to gel for whatever companies want to do during the mm-hmm. summer, spring or summer, whenever they want to, have their showcases and whatnot. So mm-hmm. love to see how that goes here over the next few months. Uh, but let's get to some uh, NFT news as it is a new year. Unfortunately, new opportunities for companies to bleed us friggin' dry. That's what. Yeah. And Square Enix decided to on New Year's Eve step up and make their big like New Year's message. Mm-hmm. Uh, Yosuke Matsuda stepped up to talk about this and made a hell of an, uh, a statement here, open letter that he published about all of this. 
Uh, let's see. The metaverse was a hot topic in 2021, inspiring a lively global conversation about what the metaverse is and then about what sort of business opportunities it presents. Mm. Against this backdrop, Facebook changed its name in October to Meta, serving as evidence that the concept is not a mere buzzword, but here to stay. Mm-hmm. The metaverse garnered so much attention in 2021 was so much attention that 2021 was dubbed the metaverse year. I don't know who said that, but mm. yeah, uh, let's see. Yeah, it's, where's the the big stuff here? Yeah, we are exploring potential efforts in... Okay, here it is. I realize that some people who quote-unquote play to have fun and who currently form the majority of players have voiced their reservations towards these new trends, and understandably so. However, I believe that there will be a certain number of people whose motivation is to quote-unquote play to contribute, by which I mean to help make the game more exciting. Traditional gaming has offered no explicit incentive to this latter group of people, Mm -hmm. We're motivated strictly by such inconsistent personal feelings as goodwill and volunteer spirit. This fact is not unrelated to the limitations of existing UGC, user-generated content. UGC has been brought into being solely because of individuals' desire for self-expression and not because any explicit incentive existed to reward them for their creative efforts. I see this as one reason there haven't been many major game-changing content that were user-generated as one would expect just a hell of a paragraph to say want to like try and turn people into groups that play to have fun or play to contribute mm-hmm. and that is certainly a way to go i guess because you know games aren't really supposed to be about having fun i guess not mm-hmm. when businesses are concerned because uh, yeah the the way these companies want nfts to go is that it's another revenue stream and it's one that kind of just keeps growing Mm -hmm. uh in a way because expecting a sorts like nfts and uh crypto and whatnot kind of being in perpetual growth which is not really how that works but uh the things they use here as far as like uh user generated content which square enix generally doesn't do Mm -hmm. at all in any way I don't think there's many games where they really allow people to make stuff for them in the game. Mm-hmm. Like there was Hitman where you could do your own uh, sort of missions as far as like picking what targets and how they should die and whatnot that, you know, then they shirked off and let the, the studio go and take the the Hitman franchise with them kind of thing. So it's like, you guys never gave a shit about this before and the people that want to get money, sure. But there's, you know, Roblox and a number of games out there that do offer means of making money off that stuff. People have Patreons for doing modding. Bethesda has their whole, like, system where you work with them to get your sort of more significant paid mods and content to there it's maybe not as open but you know there's the the diablo 3 real money shop that was kind of a thing there Mm -hmm. Uh, so companies have definitely tried some of that stuff but a lot of it isn't maybe something that people would pay for as far as you know levels and skins and such Mm. so that's kind of the the weird whole thing they're just like throwing a lot of buzzwords in this whole letter 
And I don't think they're really coming out of it saying there are any actual concrete things that they have planned. Mm. In a way, just like, it's really like a huge kind of mixed message, I guess, of sorts, the way they're framing all this. I don't know. It's just, it's just funny for the way that they're trying to frame this is dividing people into two different things. This audience of people that want to get paid for the things they do, that's, you know, NFTs aren't really a thing that you can do for a game. No. Uh, unless they're coming up with some tech that lets you export that out into an NFT. I don't know how that would work and why you couldn't just do that on your own. Uh, mm-hmm. Offer a system outside of the blockchain and all that to do that. But it seems kind of weak for a company that doesn't really do UGC to make this whole statement about others. Oh, People don't get rewarded properly for UGC. It's like, you guys don't do that in the first place, so you don't care about it. I don't know. Mm. I don't know if you have anything to add on that stuff. Yeah. Um, honestly, I'm honestly just baffled at so many you know, tech giants just seeming to wanting to run headfirst into embracing NFTs because... The whole thing is a house of cards. It's a pyramid scheme. It's there. Yeah. There is. It's all based on a very flimsy promise, and that promise that is already flimsy is a lot flimsier than it looks at first. Um, yeah. It's, it's, honestly, I think it's just a sign that the AAA industry needs to undergo some serious restructuring because you know the current model that they've got is completely unsustainable and that's kind of the reason why so many of them seem willing to embrace you know nft and blockchain stuff because you know they got to keep you know the way that the industry is moving now them they're not going to be able to keep turning that massive amounts of profit that they need to keep growing yeah yeah i mean i've already mentioned it um a couple weeks ago like i'm i'm not on the boat that thinks nfts are strictly a bad thing but if they're going to make it in this industry they have to be the focal point of the game whether that's fun or not is really going to depend on the build of the development team that makes it as well as the audience they make it for because mm-hmm. yes the the mainstream uh, or casual gamer is not going to care um mm-hmm. the main thing is having fun and that's what makes Square Enix's like total look on it like totally stupid because um yeah, they're called video games. Why do people play games, guys? Because they're fun, right? Mm-hmm. So yeah, I don't I don't understand why. I don't I don't know I don't know if the person that made that statement is even you know a gamer or on the business side. I mean, I want to say obviously he's on the he's on the ladder, but you know how it gets once you smell money, you know. So mm-hmm. I guess we'll see here. Yeah, it's they want perpetual growth, and that's not a natural thing. Mm-hmm. I mean, I've seen people like oh. Well, we do NFTs and there won't be microtransactions. Like you don't know if you think they're not mm. going to just do both mm-hmm. as well as selling, you know, DLC. They're not in the business of taking less money and less opportunities yeah. for money. And as, as, as much as like a lot of us like to have our brand loyalty, we all do to a certain extent. Um, unless you're part of their executive board, these companies don't know you. These companies don't care about you. So when they're doing bad things to you, you probably shouldn't defend them. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So. Yeah. They're, and the way that this comes off this statement from Square Enix is basically them making an appeal to whales. 
Mm-hmm. We want you here because you know NFTs will offer you an opportunity to invest in something that could grow in uh, value and all that. And you know that's uh, certainly a way to do it. Mm-hmm. I guess that seems like what all these NFT things are going to be is like a, another avenue for whales to get in, other than just buying you know loot boxes and in-game currency for one game, uh, that kind of thing. So yeah, I don't know. It's it's certainly going to be interesting to see how these companies deal with the very vocal audience that will definitely let them know about what they do or don't like about these things. Mm-hmm. So yeah, let's get to Sega. Yep. Because they talked about NFTs as well, though they are very much taking the approach of uh, being very cautious about how they're talking about this. Uh, as they say here, in terms of NFT, we would like to try out various experiments, and we have already started many different studies and considerations, but nothing is decided at this point. Regarding P2E, pay to earn, mm-hmm. there have been many announcements about this already, about this already, including it overseas, but there are users who show negative reactions at this point. I was like, all right, yeah, maybe people might hate this as kind of a, a solid strategy. It's like, we'll take a look at this and see what's uh, might work and what might not. Mm-hmm. Uh, they also add, we need to carefully assess many things such as how we can mitigate the negative elements, how much we can introduce this within the Japanese regulation, mm-hmm. what will be accepted and what will not be by the users. Then we will consider this further if this leads to our mission constantly creating, forever captivating. But if it's perceived as simple money-making, I would like to make a decision not to proceed. Mm-hmm. Which is like very much what we've been talking about. It's like, if it's perceived as simply we want more money, it's maybe not the best thing to do if there's no real benefit to the audience. Mm. Which makes a lot of sense. Uh, for them to be more cautious versus the you know EAs and such, like, oh, this is the future of gaming. Which is like, how? Tell me how. And, you know, ending up looking like fools who don't actually have any concrete examples for why these things are technologies to invest in beyond the opportunity for it to bring in more money. Mm-hmm. And so, yes, Sega seems to be more cautious about you know, going all in, either vocally or money-wise, tech-wise. So, they're at least approaching this stuff in a much better way than some of these other very stupid co- so yeah there's a oh. uh, there's Sega but uh, yeah that's gonna do it for the news of this week uh, but we will get to uh, the big part of this episode which is our top 10 games of the year mm-hmm. uh, for the staff uh, we'll kind of just go through these games uh, from yeah. 10 to 1 yeah Unfortunately, since I don't have a current-gen console yet, that means I haven't played uh, or been able to play a few of these, so... Yeah, that's fine. Uh, Let's see, let's get to our number 10, Psychonauts 2. Yeah. A game that I think Dan Rib and I had on our our list with Ratchet & Clank in the same exact order. Mm -hmm. Uh, Psychonauts 2, right below Ratchet & Clank. Yep. 
Uh, both of those were very good platformers, and Psychonauts 2 was kind of just the uh, slightly lesser one mm-hmm. of sorts. Uh, very much being a second one of those, similar style, similar sort of approach to story, all that kind of stuff. Uh, a very fun game, a way that kind of continues with the story stuff they've done with Psychonauts and uh, the VR game. Mm-hmm. Uh, that kind of helps uh, keep things going in a pretty good way and kind of sets maybe a path forward for more Psychonauts. Mm-hmm. Which would be I good. would hope so, because uh, it was a hell of a wait between the first and second game. <laughs> Seriously. Yeah, maybe the, the only real issues I had is just kind of maybe control stuff, uh, especially when you have these different abilities that you have to... Constantly cycle in and out. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's maybe is like one of the the things that you know I'm not a huge fan of. Kind of wish they could have just kept to certain abilities that could just be mapped to. I think they're all to the the shoulder buttons. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. Well, what, what did you what did you end up playing the game on, Chris? Uh, PC and my Series S. Okay. Switching yeah. So I also forth. played the game on um on my Series X. Um, and I, I, I agree with you on, with the controls to a certain extent, like it's pretty cool that we even have all these abilities to begin with, but finding the right way to map them, um, yeah. was a little rough. You don't necessarily know right away in the stage, like what's going to be useful. Yeah. And then like, even that, when it comes to mapping them, like it kind of has to feel right. And like, while most of the controls definitely felt tight, my issue with the Xbox series X or, or this generation's Xbox controller, not the pro, the regular one. Um, is the bumper and the triggers just because like they feel different and in my opinion like some of those abilities uh, felt better with different kinds of buttons and like you know it was weird like using the roll around option using a bumper button as opposed to like using one of the triggers and it it didn't really work for my muscle memory especially when I was equipping the wrong four or the right four however you want Um, that being said like as I said earlier like aside from that like I'm I'm really impressed by all the way the puzzles work, action uh, happens, and the boss fights are also really awesome so far. Uh, I haven't beaten yeah. the game yet, but I'm really enjoying it. Yeah, and the writing's really good, because there's like the the whole thing with the sort of uh, uh, the memory mapping stuff. You can link memory stuff together, and all the ways you can kind of link that stuff to get funny little dialogue, all that kind of stuff that is pretty well done uh, in the game especially just kind of taking your time when you're in environments, just like messing around with different characters and seeing what they have to say. That is uh, Mm -hmm. uh, always a a fun joy in, you know, double fine games. So yeah, maybe the, and like the, the stark contrast between that, like Ratchet and Clank is that most of Ratchet and Clank stages, if not all of them are sort of open-ish areas. Mm -hmm. Uh, And Psychonauts 2 is very much linear. Mm-hmm. Uh, so much so that when you do get the ability to be able to go back to stages and get collectibles and such that you missed, uh, you literally can't even progress from area to area at that point. They mm-hmm. uh, have a character there that's literally just sucks you up and shoots you to the next section mm-hmm. that uh, you kind of have to constantly go back to. So it's not really a negative, but it's just kind of like one of those things is like, yeah, this very much feels like a they're sticking closely to the 
uh, sort of PS2 generation style of level design. It's not really negative in that way. It's just kind of a, a different feeling to what mm. you know, like Ratchet and Clank have done and Super Mario uh, Sun or not Sun, uh, Super Mario Odyssey did with its stages, that kind of stuff. But that works well for uh, Psychonauts too. Mm-hmm. So yeah, that's. Uh, I don't know if you had any more, have anything else to add for Psychonauts two? Nope. Nope. That's pretty much all right. Let's get to number nine, Death's Door. Didn't play this one. Yeah, this is a game that people should definitely check out. It is, I think it's the only indie game on this list. Uh, It is an action-adventure game uh, where you're playing as a raven that is a reaper. Mm -hmm. uh, Set to, you know, get people's souls when they go to when they're dying mm-hmm. uh, and sort of get them to the afterlife, which uh, something goes awry when this uh, Raven that you're controlling mm-hmm. uh, goes to get this uh, soul and it's stolen by another Raven that has some ulterior motives to them. Uh, and so the, the catch is that if you're set out to get this soul, uh, your life is perpetually, progressing as you go whereas if you just kind of did your business and finished you you don't really age at all so uh the catch is that you could potentially like die of old age as a result of not getting the soul that you're supposed to collect kind of thing and along the way you got your action and all that you know uh it's fairly simple in that kind of extent where you got a roll you got an attack uh you get you know like a charge attack uh, for your weapon, uh, there are different weapons to collect. Mm-hmm. Uh, I have some that are like two-handed, so like little uh, know, katas or something like that, like two-handed blades. Uh, not two-handed; they're dual-wielding blades, not two-handed. Uh, but there's also like a there's a f- you know folded-up umbrella mm-hmm. that you can deal with. I think it's maybe faster than the normal sword, but it does less damage. Uh, yeah, along the way, you're collecting uh, this currency you can use to upgrade your abilities. Nothing really huge in terms of that stuff. Mm-hmm. Uh, but they do make you like a little bit faster, a little bit stronger, that kind of stuff. So there, But the action itself is really well done. Uh, you need to know how you're going to do your things there. Mm-hmm. Uh, the bosses are pretty nice challenges. They're not necessarily... Your typical kind of boss, uh, in a way, uh, they do some fun stuff with level design, so that the there are a lot of interesting puzzles. Mm. Uh, you get to the uh, the witch's house that has a puzzle like, oh, the the thing you need to break is actually you can only see it in the reflection on the floor. Uh, mm. So you have to pay attention to that as to how to get around and get to the thing. You know, a lot of fun puzzle design and all that, and the the style is really well done. And yeah, it's a it's a very good. Uh, one of those games. Mm-hmm. Yeah, as soon as uh, this game was shown, I forgot what event was that, but it was definitely something I had to get my hands on. And I was surprised to see that it was an Xbox timed exclusive, and not only that, it was not on Game Pass. Like, this is actually a game that, you know, you had to dub, stuff like that. And uh, that being said, like, after I had bought it, I was like, cool, uh, this is a game I bought, so I'm going to go ahead and put some time in it. And as I played the game, I just kept on playing it. 
And it's strange because I'm not really into um, a lot of roguelites or honestly, not even a whole lot of um, like carbon copies of Zelda, which this sort of is and, so- and sort of isn't. I mean, as when, when you compare it to a game like Zelda, yeah, you have some puzzles. Yes, you have like the, the isometric or top-down combat. But at the same time, Zelda also has those calm moments where you can just go to Kakariko Village and just go ahead and enjoy the... Whereas with Death's Door, you can kind of do that to an extent, but there was really only one town in the game, and it was, like, towards the end. So um, you didn't really have any of that chill atmosphere, but the environmental storytelling definitely um, gave it... um, a little bit more of an engaging feel for me. Uh, it's like what you mentioned about, oh, you know, if you see your reflection here, this is the this is the path where you have to go, and things mm-hmm. like that. And the worlds were just big enough for me to really enjoy exploring, but at the same time not feel lost. Like, a mm-hmm. lot of um, the problems that indie games like this face is just having the world be samey, or just, like, having it be, like, procedurally uh, or randomly generated. Like, that's kind of what made me lose a bit of interest in Hades because, you know, um, no matter how much better you got, you couldn't really just memorize where you were because it changed all the time. And obviously that was part of its loop. Where with, with Death's Door, it's a different story. So the combat was difficult, but it wasn't like, you know, people will also compare it to a Souls game, but it wasn't anywhere near as hard. Yes, you have to rely on the dodge roll a little more than you'd like. Um, yes, there's a lot of, like... Um, bosses that were uh sponges for damage but uh the bosses in the game really like put me on edge uh just because you knew you were close uh to kill it once you saw it um that 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 they all had cracks and then like you know that moment where you think you have it and all of a sudden they get a little more aggro and kill you it's like oh man like this really sucks like let me let me go ahead and give it one and, you know, it's it's definitely a game that rewards you for the time that you put in. And then even after you beat it, like, there are some things that if you look close enough, um, you can go ahead and explore more and enjoy more, kind of like the way uh, um, the post-game works for an RPG. And, yeah, like, all of that stuff really made the game really impressive. And, um, you know, as far as the dev team goes, Acid Nerve, whatever they're going to cook up next, I'm all for. Like, this game was... That this game amazes me from start to finish. Yeah. Yeah, it's a game that does a lot of interesting stuff, but it's not necessarily outwardly interesting the way it does, because it kind of looks like a bog standard. Oh, you got an attack and you got a dodge roll, uh, that kind of thing. But uh, your special ability is kind of garnered by just getting attacks in. So there's lots of pots around that you can break and they reform again so that. You know, if you're just out there just spewing it a lot, uh, you can kind of get it back pretty quickly by doing that stuff or just hitting enemies, whatever. But it is very kind of old school Zelda-esque in terms of those enemies just respawn every time you come back to a room kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, but they do give you plenty of opportunities to jump out of areas because you'll find these doors that go back to your like uh, Reaper base. So you can go just warp around that way if you want to just like okay, this is a lot in this area. I maybe need to go... I know how to do a thing now, and I, maybe there's things I can do back in these other areas mm-hmm. to find other secrets, that kind of... The closest thing it has to, like, bonfires are these life seeds that you can kind of put into pots to refill your energy at least once per life. So, it's a lot of fun little mechanics. Like 
it has sort of that Metroidvania feel where whenever you're exploring someplace new, you definitely saw um, a few obstacles that you couldn't get through because you didn't have the ability or like it was locked because you didn't have a certain thing. And then like, you know, you come back to it as you progress and there isn't a part where you like miss totally. Um, I'm trying to think of like a pure example, but I, I guess the main thing would be near the end, like, you know, you'd have bridges that you can just go ahead and knock down and go ahead and make your way to the back of the start of that particular section. And like, yeah, it just all really flowed well. And just, it, it, it just continued to reward you for going on. And, you know, and then it, when it came to backtracking, it was easy because new paths were open to the back. And, you know, whether or not you wanted to use like those doors to, uh, as a way to uh, get back even quicker, like, you know, that, that all worked too. So um, it was uh, definitely clever the way all of that was done. And um, I really appreciated mm. that. Um, I also did want to mention that this was my number two game. So I had it ranked really highly. Yeah. I think mine was in like the lower half, or it's just like, like here's a bunch of indie games I like that hmm. uh, were tough to kind of figure out which order they went in. But that one I think was like my six or seven or somewhere around there. But yeah, that's uh, that's uh, then there's uh, number eight, Hitman Three. This is part of a group here that kind of technically tied, uh, but we kind of did tiebreaker. Mm. stuff to set the specific order here uh but number eight is hitman three uh another great entry in sort of the finale for the world of assassination trilogy mm-hmm. of hitman and yeah uh, you kind of have to separate uh from hitman three the notion that you can have the other two games worth of stages uh in this you know built with all the extra Stuff they've added to this game, because otherwise that would just make it easy, number one. Just having all that content and fun things to do there. Uh, but Hitman 3 itself, its campaign is maybe a little bit uh, shorter than the others. I think it was maybe the some a uh, little bit of shorter stages, but or a shorter amount of stages than there have been. But the, the ones that are here, they kind of really go... Uh, in some wild directions with them. Uh, They have some theme stages where you can kind of just, you can either just do the Hitman 3 thing and, you know, just figure out what your target is and find a way to set up uh, an opportunity to kill them kind of thing. Or you can just kind of roll with the punches in those stages where uh, the first one you get to is kind of a play on Knives Out, uh, where you can uh, sneak your way in and you see like, oh, there's this... uh, this detective that has been sent in to figure out what happened to uh, the uh, the matriarch's younger brother who has died uh, with all the family members that have been in town for that stuff. Mm-hmm. Uh, you can take over the detective's role and just say, like, all right, I'm going to be a detective. I'm going to go explore these areas, look for evidence, uh, all that kind of stuff, and talk to the different family members and come to a conclusion for what happened. Mm. Uh, that could be a few hours there just doing that. Uh, uh, I think there are other ones that are like, uh, you're on a wine tour. You can just follow along and learn about wine if you want. Mm. Uh, or you can just break off and go do the kill you want to do. Uh, that kind of stuff. And they kind of spend more time on these sort of more interesting, elaborate uh, maps that aren't just all a setup to kill a person. Uh, you can kind of just go and, you know, 
jump into this role and just be this person uh, in ways that they kind of did a little bit of that in the first two games, but not to the great degree that they do in this one, uh, which a lot of people take as a sign of what they're going to do with the the Bond game that they are working on. Uh, but luckily, Hitman 3 has kind of done really well for them. They mm-hmm. are working on a second year of content, some new maps and all that for this year. Mm-hmm. So that's exciting to see. I did just grab the uh, Seven Deadly Sins uh, sort of expansions that they released earlier this year. That's not really new maps, but it's sort of new versions of some of the existing maps that you can play through that are related to, you know, the Seven Deadly Sins. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's on sale right now in the holiday sale stuff PSN has going on. Uh, so it's worth checking out. And I haven't even played the VR stuff. I mm-hmm. play Hitman, all the Hitman stages in VR. Uh, which I have not tried yet, but I've seen some really cool stuff about that. So I'm excited to maybe try that out at some point. I just haven't had a chance to yet, but uh, that's Hitman 3. That's definitely worth checking out if you are into Hitman uh, and all that. And it's beyond any of the stages uh, from the previous games. Uh, You can import those and have one nice package of lots of content to do. Mm. So yeah, that uh, that is Hitman 3. Uh, number eight. Number seven, Returnal. This game was my number one game of the year. Uh, it is Housemark kind of getting the chance to really show what they can do uh, as they have been kind of doing for the past about 15 years or so since Superstar yeah. HD uh, kind of started putting them on the map of indie devs to check out mm-hmm. uh, back on the PS3 that they've been working on lots of arcade style games. Yep. Since then, they've done a few that broke out of that uh, mold, but this was sort of their first big chance on a real big budget kind of game. And Returnal is just kind of a sublime experience on the yeah. PS5 with the Dual Sense and all that. They yeah make use of it in some really fun ways that uh, not many games do. Of all the games that PS5 exclusives that really make me want to get a PS5, it's probably this one that's at the top of the list. Um, yeah, simply because of just the whole concept of it. It's basically a roguelike, but it's a shooter. There's a lot of bullet hell elements. It's got this weird, like existential storyline to it. And it's like, that's just, that's all the shit. I gobble that up with a spoon. I gotta, I gotta have that. Yeah. And the nice thing is that they have put in one of the recent updates, the ability to sort of suspend your run. Yes. Uh, so people have been able to uh, basically just get to a point where they want to uh, stay at and yeah. suspend it, upload that to the cloud. Yeah. Uh, then turn off the syncing to the cloud. Yeah. And just be able to have a uh, save that they can just keep returning to and sort of practice that kind of thing on the the current run they're on. And that's uh, it's a pretty cool sort of thing. I don't know why people people try to be like, oh, we got it, got one on over them. It's like that's how how this stuff works when you're when they're using like a uh, a save backup system, the way PS Plus does it. But it has just a, a lot of fun style to it. Uh, the game just controls so well. It's a third person shooter, which they hadn't really done so much of, but it has a lot of their their style to it with the sort of big flashy neon, you know, shots 
that you can take and enemy shots that you're kind of dodging, uh, a lot of like platforming tools that you have to avoid things, uh, all that kind of stuff, which is why it definitely gets to be hard at times because you occasionally just like, oh, I forgot I can, you know, have my dash to dash through shots and avoid damage, that kind of stuff. And the way that the, the different stages kind of change uh, the way you play a little bit because you have this very kind of claustrophobic forest that you start in. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then you get to the second area, which is more of a like maybe Mars style red planet mm-hmm. sort of biome that is has no uh, like real boundaries, at least until you get to the uh, the I don't know, like the mountain you're supposed to get to mm-hmm. uh, with which then you're kind of more inside areas there but you know it's like you know you're looking at your map and you know it's very uh metroidy in a sense yeah uh, but you know you're on the the sort of mars biome you know you're just kind of running around mm-hmm. uh it maybe punish you punishes you for going off map i haven't really tested that kind of thing but you have a little more flexibility to run around and not to worry about you know falling into pits or anything like that mm. uh the story stuff is pretty interesting as you're uh, this pilot who lands on this planet that she is pretty sure she hasn't been to mm-hmm. and finds like past uh, versions of herself on this planet and like listens to the audio logs that they left. It's like, oh, this is me. Like, what the hell's going on here? And there's this weird house that you find. It's like, oh, this is your house, but why is it out in this alien planet? Mm-hmm. And all this kind of stuff. There's some horror elements to it that uh, maybe would be something that turns me off in other games, but this one, it's a unique touch to this game to have mm-hmm. that kind of stuff in there. Uh, so yeah, that's it's a game that just uh, is house market their best, and I'm glad it's done well enough that they got purchased by Sony, so that they can kind of just keep making their more games, and not have to worry so much about. You don't making money anymore. Mm-hmm. So yeah, uh, do you have anything to add, Dan Reb? Not a whole lot, really. Um, you you pretty much got 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 the gist of it. Um, my main thing with Returnal is that, um, as much as I enjoyed it, uh, again, it, it, it's a game that also uh, wasn't my own top end. Um, I feel like it was a game that I kept getting worse at. Um, as much as I played it, um, I yeah. played the game for like hours it's 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 first two days out and then my second run at the thing actually lasted about 45 minutes to an hour which is really a good amount especially like you know playing so early and then eventually like i just kept getting bad draws as far as like room gen wrong and really all the wrong unlucky and that's part of like what turned me off of it and not going back to it um i do want to go back to it but i say that um but yeah like you know we 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 always talk about this whenever we mention this. Like, Housemark is a studio that we definitely respect as like the old school kind of gamer that really enjoyed those um those two space shooters. And really, um, Returnal is quite a is quite a way to like bring that to the modern era. Um, with a you know a first you know third person shooter kind of look and um, a lot of the strategies that come in those. games, uh, definitely uh, make their way here and it's really uh, quite an accomplishment. Throw the fact that this is also sort of the first um, PS5 exclusive in there 
And, you know, Housemark just makes that much more because of it. Um, uh, it's, it's, it's really uh, um, fun as, as far as, like, its, it's controls, the, the narrative it has, and things like that. I never, you know, um, completed it, but I definitely enjoyed what I played despite, like, you know, uh, not enjoying it towards, the, towards like, you know, the, the, the latter part of my playthrough for the most part. But, again, like, as a as an exclusive release, like, this is, this is definitely, like, something to really experience early if you really, like, want to check out, like, what the PS5 is all about. Yeah. And one of the things that eventually worked is you might have seen, like, bodies around from uh, people on your friends list that you couldn't really do anything with. Uh, they did at a, at a certain point that you kind of scan them, and then you see, like, their, uh, their last moments before they died. Uh, and then a boss spawns. So you get the opportunity to like yeah. avenge their death of sorts. Of course, it's a tough boss to do. Uh, so I think if you uh, do that, they get a notification on their dashboard that like, oh, this person on your friends list has you know avenged your death kind of thing, which is like a neat sort of online interaction to have in there. So yeah, they've been. Just continually working on that game, and I'm excited to see sort of whatever's next for them. Mm. So yeah, that is uh, that is Returnal. Uh, we'll get to our number six game, Ratchet and Clank Rift Apart. Uh, mm. This was, I think, my number three game of the year. And also uh, number two reason why I want a PS5. <laughs> yeah, it is sort of a celebration of everything that's been going on in the other mainline Ratchet and Clank games. Uh, it's sort of a send-off of sorts for the the various storylines that have been going on, the characters and such you've been interacting with over uh, the years, over the past 20 years mm-hmm. of Ratchet and & Clank. And that is uh, a game that's kind of the, the ultimate expression of everything they've done that's been cool. Uh, so yeah, you got your you know shooting platformer thing, uh, leveling up your guns, all that kind of stuff. They have some really fun guns, but the uh, the whole crux of the story is that kind of there you're in this celebration of uh, Ratchet and Clank, this parade that is happening, and of course Doctor Nefarious gets in the way because for whatever reason Clank decides to rebuild the Dimensionator, which is a, a huge thorn in uh, your side in the future trilogy. Yeah. Uh, he decides to bring it back and rebuild it and all that without really telling Ratchet. And of course, uh, Nefarious gets a hold of it in a way that uh, puts the uh, the safety of the galaxy at risk as you know they get sent off into another dimension, an alternate dimension, where a lot of things are very similar to uh, their dimension, but maybe different in some key ways so there's like there's a lone lombax in this other dimension but it's a lady lombax you know mm-hmm. uh, a lot of the characters appear in the same way but are uh different somehow like stinky pete uh is in there or rusty pete is in there and he is uh, uh french in this other uh universe instead of uh, a pirate yep so a lot of fun little like changes to the formula uh, that shakes things up a bit, but uh, the gameplay itself just really sublime. Uh, sort of the ultimate uh, 
exploration of the sort of genre that Ratchet and Clank inhabits with the sort of you know shooter platformer kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, all the stages are generally big open world areas. You can explore uh, pretty freely, find lots of uh, secrets and such around there. You know, have little side missions to do. There are pocket dimensions that you find. Mm. Uh, the nice thing they do is that the the typical collectibles you see in these games, like the gold bolts, uh, are not hidden anymore, at least from the map. Mm-hmm. Uh, they all appear on the map so that if you want to go and be a completionist, you can do that. Uh, occasionally there are some bolts that you maybe have to keep playing to go for instead mm-hmm. of just being able to maybe stay in the one uh, stage and... Uh, try and get them all before you leave. So mm-hmm. there are maybe some stuff like that, but once you get the hang of it, there's a lot to like in this game. It's just a very fun experience. and It definitely sets up a cool future where they could do a, a sequel that is just uh, Rivet and Kit. Or, yeah, for the, the other two uh, characters that show up. Uh, that they can do their own thing a lot of potential for what they can do because now they don't have to worry about, well, we have to have Nefarious and we have to have these characters and these other characters and all this kind of stuff. It's like, oh, they could do more new stuff with uh, future games, uh, which would be exciting to see. But yeah, that is uh, Ratchet and Clank Rift Apart. Well worth checking out. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I had Ratchet and Clank uh, Rift Apart high on my list too. Um, it was number five. Um, I'm not uh, as big a fan of the series as Chris is, but I definitely, you know, had my preparation going in. Um, I had beaten the sort of Ratchet and Clank remake uh, right before it going in. And yeah, like I had a lot of fun with it. Um, With that original game I was talking about, my problems were with its storytelling because it it just seemed like there was a whole lot happening at once. And um, I know that it was also following the steps of a movie. So it also sort of works in this as an aside and um this new one rift apart uh, really uh it addressed all those issues um and the only reason why i didn't have this higher was just because i enjoyed the other experiences just a little more um but for all intents and purposes ratchet and clank rift apart is like the perfect ratchet and clank game um this is a game that the ps5 probably should have launched with instead of um Sackboy, uh, as fun as that one was as well, but like this game really exemplifies like what the PS5 is definitely capable of. A lot of those rifts and things that you go through definitely would not have been possible on a PS4 Pro. Uh, the way um, the the controls feel, especially with the Dual Sense, are, are totally amazing. If you've played a Ratchet and Clank game in the past, like you'll feel right at home here, especially with the nuanced controls with the weapon wheels and whatnot. Like everything feels good and. If you've played any of them before, you'll be walking to familiar territory here. Um, that being said, like nothing about the game really felt all that new to me. Um, a lot of the gimmicks were uh, the same as what they were. And then, you know, you have the other locks come in and it didn't really change things, but it definitely like made, made it feel like it had a different kind of attitude. And yeah, like this game is fun through and through. And at the same time, it was it was uh, accessible to a certain extent too. Like for example, the the parts where you had to use um, uh, Clank and then the other robot uh, were all skippable. Um, and at the same time, like you wouldn't get punished if you were to skip anything for the trophy. So I was able to get uh, the platinum in this game fairly quickly after beating it. 
And um, yeah, like this game is a whole lot of fun. And for all intents and purposes, it's the perfect ratchet game. Uh, is it one that you want to start with? Um, I'm not sure, but um, it does like give you enough to really uh, still enjoy it anyway. And like the storytelling in this one compared to all of the other ones is way, uh, way better here. So I definitely uh, enjoy playing this game. And like as far as like the way it looks and the way it plays, it's as perfect as it can possibly be. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. It's well worth checking out. Looking forward to seeing more of what that team can do, especially uh, with a new game. Hopefully they do get the chance to do another one. Maybe one that's just uh, Rivet-focused. But the way that they kind of set things up at the end as like a finale of sorts for uh, the Ratchet & Clank uh, mainline series up to that point. That'd be fun to see. Uh, but yeah, that is uh, as Ratchet and Clank. Our number five is Tales of Arise. Mm-hmm. Uh, kind of yep. a long-awaited edition of the Tales series that hadn't had anything for quite a while, and it seemed like it benefited a lot from that break. Mm-hmm. Uh, I've been, I've uh, beaten the first boss in the game. Yeah, uh, at this point, sort of where these people are free and they are kind of unsure of what's going to happen, but uh, it is an interesting story of sorts of uh, these. Uh, it's the Renans that have enslaved the Danans. Mm-hmm. I don't know what the, the names have to do with anything. They're just kind of weird and kind of so similar. It's kind of easy to forget which is which, but uh, uh, they have sort of enslaved them for like 300 years. Mm-hmm. And uh Iron Mask, as he knows himself at this point, because mm-hmm. at a certain point he kind of learns more, because he's at this point where I'm at, he has sort of broken a part of his mask off. Mm-hmm. Uh, so you can see, like, oh, he's he's anime under here. Yep. Uh, but he still doesn't really know that much about his past, so yeah. Uh, that is, uh, but the the battle system is pretty good. It takes a bit to kind of get used to. Uh, the flow of the way it works. Mm-hmm. Uh, but as you play, you're kind of unlocking more combos and such. You can add to your repertoire because early on it's just like, I guess I'll map this one to all of these so that no matter what button combos I hit, I'll be able to pull it out, that kind of thing. But uh, yeah, it all works pretty well. The only real issue I have is like there are occasionally missions that are meant for like late game. Like, oh, here's, here's a big enemy. Uh, you should beat that at some point. And I'm like, well, how much more powerful are they? Uh, occasionally just have to go save and then just like go run into them. See, so like, oh, I'm 12 and this is 42. Mm-hmm. It's like, I kind of wish it would just tell you up front, like what level they are, instead of having to start a fight with them. Uh, there's a couple things like that. And there are times where I get, I look at my, uh, my mission where I'm supposed to go. And I'm like, wait, how do I get there? The map system's not good at all for some of that stuff. Cause it lets you like move over to other areas, but what if it's on one of the areas you can't move over to, it doesn't tell you the way to go for that kind of stuff. So sometimes I'm just sitting here wandering. Uh, luckily at this point, I don't have that many places to go. So you know, if I waste a few minutes, it's not a big deal, but I can see that getting more complicated at times. Uh, so yeah, there's definitely, some areas where I'm hoping it gets better at, but uh, those are kind of the the things that I'm kind of 
uh, dealing with right now, but I'll let yeah. you guys go since I believe both of you have played much more than I have. Yeah. Uh, it, I, I, I actually did not play this game, so I'm, I'm, I'm out of this one. <laughs> yeah, it's mostly me. Uh, it does get better. Um, on it, yeah, uh, you pretty much pointed out everything. I can't really say much more without spoiling the whole game because the whole sort of storyline is got like a whole other layer to it. you don't really notice at first but it's sort of been hiding in plain sight the entire time um but yeah so like the mask if you probably haven't ask it why he has memory loss in the first place it's basically what's blocking you know his memory of what has happened up to that point um but uh yeah, gameplay-wise, it's extremely uh, visually stunning, especially. Um, it's probably the most visually good-looking JRPG I've seen in a long-ass because, let's be honest, most JRPGs, you know, they put a lot of design and the writing, but as far as the graphics are go, I mean, they're not necessarily just, you know, serviceable, but they're definitely not... Um, cutting edge, you know, visually. Um, Tales of Arise is the exact opposite. It looks absolutely beautiful to look at. Um, and also probably what really sort of put it over the line for me was its writing. Um, because it took a very sort of serious concept of, like, how does a totalitarian society govern itself? And the game basically gives, you know, not just totalitarianism, but authoritarianism in general. How does it govern up? And, you know, in the first, you know, area you end up in, he does it just through sheer brutality. You know, it's, he literally keeps the entire realm in a constant sort of fiery volcanic ash because he just likes the way it looks. But then you get to the second one and you find out the dude's basically set up this entire, like, secret police force with, like, a whole culture of, like, informing on others. Um, have you gotten to the third one yet? What do you mean, third one? The ne- the third area. No, I've beaten the fire dude and about to go to the next area. All right, yeah, because the third area is, like, it, it takes, like, all the stuff that you've seen up to this point, and it actually makes you... Well, but, okay, I'm not gonna I'm not going to spoil it, but it puts a lot of revelations on sort of the system and what, uh, you know, what uh, Danans and Renans are uh, and, you know, a sort of the reason why the system was set up at the way it is. But it, yeah, it's, I'm not going to spoil it, but yeah, it's, it's, it's good shit. <laughs> All right. Anything else to add? Nope. All right. So that's Tales of Arise, uh, number five, number number. I, I bought this game and I'm looking forward to playing it sometime, but I just haven't had the time for it. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, definitely probably one of the most annoying things is they constantly have a exclamation point on the DLC store mm-hmm. in the menus. Yeah. Uh, and if you're used to JRPGs where they do that kind of stuff for anything that's new, mm-hmm. uh, it's perpetually annoying. Yeah. I thought they put out an update recently that was supposed to fix that, but it's still the same when I last played it a few weeks ago, so I have no clue if they ever plan to fix that or not. Mm. That's where you can buy like 
um, multiplier for your XP or whatever. Mm-hmm. Which I don't think you necessarily need to do. There's plenty of opportunity to grind if you want that, but there's also plenty of side missions that you get. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, that's uh, Tales of Rise. Our number four is Monster Hunter Rise, and I believe that'll be all of Dan Reb. Yep. Yeah, uh, Monster Hunter Rise like has been huge. Like as I mean, um, aside from Madden, really been comfort food game all year. Um, it's another game that I never actually finished the main story for, but actually, I've never done that with any Monster Hunter game. This is just like a series that I fall in love with because of its community. Um, it's a game that I suck at a lot, but um, people always carry me on their backs here, and they have no problem because we end up sharing the loot. And yeah, what makes Monster Hunter Rise so good um, is the fact that it's sort of a return uh, to form because uh, Monster Hunter really got its start and attention um, after all those games on the PSP and uh, 3DS. Like, it's meant to be a handheld game through. And and while I definitely appreciate um, its hit into the mainstream with Monster Hunter World, uh, thanks to, like, obviously the power of the PS4 and Xbox One, um, Monster Hunter Rise sort of, like, takes that and then takes the original challenge from the hand and puts it all into one here. And yes, the Switch isn't nearly as powerful as those other uh, platforms, but um, they found a way to make it work. And uh, for what it's worth, the game does look good. Maybe you don't want to play it on, a, on the biggest 4K TV you have, but playing the game on handheld, decent. And in my opinion, the game's story that I've played so far is better than what World had. And the it's funny because even though the Switch really isn't known for its online prowess, um, I don't know if what I'm saying is accurate, but it feels like this game has received much more aggressive updates than Monster Hunter World had. Um, like it seems like every you know month or two we're seeing different things being added, whether it be new quests, new monsters, all these sorts of DLC. And you know that's really what you know uh, separates th- this game and this series from like the rest of the pack. And then looking at what's been offered on the Switch, like, um, you know, say what you want about the Switch being uh, disappointing uh, or uh, well, uh, this year or whatever it may be after Animal Crossing, but uh, Monster Hunter Rise is definitely, like, one of the better third-party offerings. Um, and, you know, it was also followed up by a Monster Hunter Wars. So, yeah, Capcom has definitely been helping, uh, you know, Switch owners, like, find something to really enjoy while else. Um, yeah, like it's 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 just been great. Uh, you know, Jordan's been playing it, pretty much been his his main thing as well. So, yeah, um, it's it, it's great to have a Monster Hunter game that was made specifically for the Switch, with the improvements from the PS4 and um, Xbox One versions in mind. And if you've uh, never got series, uh, this is also a solid place to start. Even though there are a lot of intricacies that make it a little bit more complicated, but the community makes it. That's all I got. All right. So yeah, I think that is coming to PC pretty soon mm-hmm. uh, for Monster Hunter Rise. So people on, I guess probably just Steam uh, can check that out uh, here pretty soon. I'm double checking. Yeah, that'll be out on yeah the twelfth. So in a few days here, people can check that out. I'd be curious to see if that ever actually comes over to the other consoles as well at some point, or if they're just going to be like, oh, you only get World. <laughs> you know, it seems like they're doing a lot in this game to kind of meld that with some of the style of the uh, the prior games to it. Mm. That's, 
I think people will be fine with. I don't know. Mm. Uh, but we'll see. Uh, but yeah, the, let's see. Our number three is It Takes Two. And mm-hmm. like the like Monster Hunter, this is all dandruff. Yep. It Takes Two. Okay, so It Takes Two is actually my game of the year. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, I am a, a and I, I, I also have to profess, preface this. Uh, I work at EA, um, but we got code for this game before that transaction finalized. So yeah, I'll, I'll I'll go ahead and say that. Um, I am a huge fan of Hazelight Games and um, Joseph Ferris and everything he's done from you know Brothers of Tale of Two Sons and sorry this thing. Um, so Brothers of Tale of Two Sons and A Way Out and it takes two just totally takes things to a whole nother level. Um, mm-hmm. Unlike those other couple games, this game is a platformer uh, most of the time. And the reason why I say most of the time is because this game switches genres like that. Like, um, you, you, you sort of see that with, um, with A Way Out, where um, it was mainly like puzzle-ish walking simulator stuff. And then you get towards the end and it becomes sort of like a third-person cover shooter, much in the vein of Uncharted. And it didn't really do that part pretty well. Like, you'd be getting things like headshots, and it really sucked at it. Whereas with It Takes Two, you know, you're a 3D platformer, and then all of a sudden you become a fighting game, and then you become a, a Diablo-like dungeon crawler, and then you become um, a, a sci-fi shooter, you become a bullet hell game. Like, this game does almost everything, and the best part of it, and which is also the worst part, is, you know, you have to play it all with a friend. And... um you know, you have to like really work together and really to, in, in in order to really get your way through it. You cannot mm-hmm. play this game alone. I cannot say that enough. And really, to make it easier, you have a code that you can share with someone if they if they don't have the game. So you can just go ahead and um you know play with anyone, just uh, assuming that they have that code. And mm. yeah, like the the story of this game presents itself like sort of a family game. Um, but the fact that it won best family title at the Game Awards is totally hilarious because um. Uh, a lot of the a lot of the boss fights end in ways that are like uh, gruesomely violent and should not be seen by children. And uh, there is one point where there's a said that had some foul language. And um, yeah, I really wouldn't want my kid to be in the room when that thing is said. Uh, but you know, um, all that said, everything that it takes two does um, is awesome. Everything from the level design to um, as corny as it was at points, the story. Uh, to the puzzles. Uh, there's even a whole bunch of mini games. If you watch uh, the the game of the year video we do, um, and like they're they're all like really really fun. Like a way out had things like uh, Connect Four and a Home Run Derby, whereas with it takes two, you have a tug of war. You have like a third person uh, snowball fight, like much in the um, The Last of Us Two had, um, and yeah, like all of these. Uh, multiplayer games were um quality and they're really just there's a waste of time they didn't have to be there um and mm-hmm. it, it, it was all just good fun and then like when the game ends you definitely feel the ending and you wish there was more but at the same time you understand why there isn't and everything that it takes two did was amazing from start to finish it was definitely my most anticipated game of the year when it came out after i beat it i had a feeling that no other game would surpass it this year and that's last year and uh that's exactly what happened so yeah we've seen it takes to um go on sale a couple of times uh definitely pick that up w- without hesitating like this is definitely the most fun i've had yeah yeah i've been like i've watched i've been watching let's plays of it like 
those who don't know, like Game Grunts, for example, they've been playing it uh, sort of off and on. And uh, yeah, I don't know how that, much. Uh, uh, there, there, there's this part with an elephant. Did you get that far? Oh God, yes, I did see that. <laughs> God, so, that whole thing like, is so messed up. Oh my God! Like, uh, so when when I went through that part with my brother, we were like, "What in the actual like fuck is going yeah. on here?" Because like, it's not just a matter. Okay, so I just we might as well just go to not entirely spoil it, but say what it is. Mm-hmm. There's a stuffed animal elephant to kill, basically. And she's set up as, like, the sweetest, nicest thing that you meet in the entire gang. Like, she meet, you know, the first thing she meets, she's like, you seem unhappy, would you like a hug? And it's like, you know, because the whole point of the game is, like, it's, you know, these two, you know, uh, parents going through a separation process, and they're turned into little dolls that are sort of being forced to work together to try and rebuild their relationship to a certain example. Um, Yeah. And at one point, you have to kill this elephant. And, like, up to this point, it's kind of treated like a gag. You know, it's like, yeah, we're going to have to kill the elephant. And then you actually have to kill the elephant. And it's not just a matter of, oh, we have to kill the elephant. They fucking drag it out. Like, you know, first you end up, like, ripping off a limb. And then you're, like, dragging it to, like, the edge. And it loses, like, a tusk. And then it loses an ear. And it's screaming for its life the whole time and it's like god damn yeah and then like the parents just do their best to like block out the situation uh of course just because we don't want to spoil it like we don't go over why you have to kill that elephant but yeah like it is beyond ridiculous and also just to make you feel better the elephant does make it out in the end (laughs) like one of the parents fixes the elephant so the elephant is fine but yeah it's it's definitely like one of the most uncomfortable things i've seen in any video game narrative like for kids or scary or for adults and i'm like well oh it's my there God. to kind of no reinforce people. an important sort of point of the story which is that these parents are both of these individuals are so wrapped up in their own problems that they're kind of ignoring the serious issue that's right in front of them yeah and like that's part of the reason why i don't think this is a family game it does no. a lot of things that you know are pretty cool like you know to you know, in, in enjoy with your family, but it also goes into themes that are, you know, not ideal for people who aren't mature enough to deal with the situation. Mm-hmm. Uh, so the fact that the developers and storytellers found a way to get around that in a game that's as fun as this is, in my opinion, is another accomplishment. You can tell um, that he grew up on kids' movies from the 80s because that's the type of shit that we used to see all the time. <laughs> but yeah, like, after that happened, like, when, we, when, we, when me and my brother played it like of course like as fun as the game was we encouraged other people to play it and then whenever we see one of our friends on stream play it we always wait until they get to the elephant part because we want to see how they react to it just because of how fucked up it oh yeah yep it takes two everybody all right let's get to our number two halo infinite yeah uh this is the one game on xbox that i'm genuinely excited because uh from what everyone has been telling me you know after you this franchise kind of phalanx, kind of floating about and you know not really being able to get its mojo back it looks like it's finally gotten back on its foot on its feet again yeah it's uh it's a good game uh, i've not played too much of it so it did not make my list uh but the the multiplayer is pretty fun they've finally fixed some of the issues so that 
you know, you have more playlist options. Not to be too much reliant on sort of a roll of the die of getting into match types that you like. Mm-hmm. Uh, seems like the battle pass is a, a bit better now, and their event stuff's doing better. Uh, so that's good to see. Uh, the campaign itself is pretty good. You do kind of have to go through a lengthy intro of playing more normalish Halo style. Halo stages before you get to the actual open world stuff, uh, which then, uh, if you're playing it on PC, is when it really tests how good of a a PC you have on the settings you're using because it actually has to deal with open world environments mm. uh, versus more uh, linear, you know, indoor environments that you've been dealing with up to that point. And it's like a couple hours there just for that long intro. But, uh, yeah, once you get out in the open world, there's just a uh, a decent amount of stuff to do out there. There's a lot of, you know, go to this forward operating base, kill the, you know, like eight to ten enemies that are hanging out around it, defending it, and then it becomes a place where you can, you know, teleport to uh, spawn vehicles from and bring Marines with you if you want to. There's some bases you can go around that are bigger areas, more enemies, more elaborate stuff going on. Uh, as well as, like, super tough enemies in a uh, few spots that have, like, special weapons you can unlock if you can kill yeah. them. Uh, those are easier said than done. Mm-hmm. Uh, and as well as just having, you know, story missions around that you can run up to and do if you want to just focus on that. But This game does have a, com- a campaign now. Right? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. because I know when the thing first came out that the can- they originally it didn't have the campaign. That game was, like, a later patch or something. Uh, what would they released originally was just the multiplayer. Yeah. Uh, then they, when the game proper launched on the, the eighth, it was the campaign was added. No co-op, yeah, forge mode, that kind of stuff to it. So, but yeah, it's a it's a pretty solid one of those Halo games, but with a grappling hook that makes it a little more interesting to get around. Mm-hmm. Uh, adds some neat touches to the combat as you can. You know, grab a hook an enemy, pull yourself to them, and you know, pull out the melee and bang them in the head, and knock them out. Uh, if they're at least one of the weaker ones, mm. the other ones you might have to shoot them a bit. Uh, but yeah, it's a it's a fun game to play. Mm-hmm. You got anything to add, Dan Reb? Yeah, this is definitely a game that arrived on my list as soon as I got my hands on the multiplayer. Um, because yeah, it's it's fun, it's Halo, and it feels modernized, and that's really all I needed from it. Uh, again, I'm I am not a um, multiplayer shooter fan, uh, but Halo mm-hmm. is different in that regard. I'm not saying I'm any good at it either, but it's just it's just really fun, you know, just being able to have all these weapons, and then all of a sudden, like you have that new hookshot ability that it enables you to pretty much fly and like mm-hmm. take on like um, all of these like. Um, flying projectiles at once, and it just makes it really enjoyable. Yeah, I've been told like that. That edition of that grappling, the is like the game changer for the form for the Halo formula. Yeah, it's 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 definitely like one of the main things that really makes you feel like you know you're you're Master Chief, you're you're a, mm-hmm. you're a hardcore Spartan, and like whatever it may be. Um, I have not gotten gotten too far in the campaign yet. I've gotten to where it opens up a little bit, and you know, obviously, that's where it gets good. Um, my main disappointment um, is the fact that the 
the um, campaign, uh, the multiplayer campaign, the co-op was uh, delayed. So we're not going to see that until like late this year. And um, that's why I'm kind of waiting it out. But but again, like at the, you know, the, the, the parts I did play as basic as they were, like they definitely felt Halo. And like that was all I was looking for going in when when the game was first like shown uh, or not first shown. But like when when we, when we saw an extended look at it a couple of years ago, like it looked bad. Um, it did not mm-hmm. look extra at all, and um, uh, it didn't really make strides to look a whole lot better. But you definitely know it plays better, uh, and, and and you know it, it 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 looks better in that regard. But it's not amazing or anything. So that's kind of like uh, the frustration as to like, man, if 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 the Xbox Series X S launch launched with this, it would have been a totally different story. So like, you know, that's something that they missed out on. But, you know, you do have to show some respect to Microsoft for making the decision to go ahead and delay it the way they did because 343 wasn't ready yet and the game is good now. Mm-hmm. Um, um, as far as problems go, like the multiplayer now has gotten stagnant just because like, you know, a whole lot of people are on it at the same time. Like there weren't enough maps to go around. And like now it's kind of hard in that regard, not to mention lack of stuff done to um, all of the people online saying you know all these racial slurs and things like that it, it, it definitely feels like 2004 again in that regard and that yeah it's like oh wow it really is old school yeah. halo isn't it like, I, I i don't understand why they couldn't really like help with that i mean blizzard has has that figured out i don't see why microsoft but um aside from that like uh yeah halo definitely deserves its spot on the list and happy happy it's back in a big way mm-hmm. yep and then we will get to our number one game of the year, which is Metroid Dread. Yeah, and we're gonna, I'm going to be completely honest. Part of the reason this game is so high on the list is because it's the first mainline Metroid game we've had God knows how many years. Yeah, yeah. and then like just, just, just generally, this was like the one game, no matter how high or high, was the game that got on everybody's list. And that's why yep. it became the one here. Yeah. Um, now, I haven't played as much of it as the rest of you, but I will say the one thing about the newer version of the game that I like that I think a lot of the older games tried to do and to some small extent succeeded, but otherwise didn't. Um, the original Metroid was always heavily inspired by the Alien franchise, and a big part of the Alien franchise is that creepiness about being on a, you know, alien organic planet that where everything basically wants to kill you. You know, it's that creep factor that, you know, the first game eh, didn't really do it that well. The second game was able to do it in bits and parts, mostly due to the soundtrack. But this one kind of nailed it, and the reason it introduced these this new class of enemies that could basically show up at any time and they they were essentially like the game's equivalent to Mr. X from Resident Evil. You really couldn't kill them. You could you can incapacitate them to a bit, but they're sort of the one part of the game that is like constantly shows up completely random. You can't you, you know, it's the one thing that actually makes the creep factor feel real. You know, it's called, it's in the title, Metroid Dread. You legit dread it. <laughs> yeah, the 
they are only in specific areas, so you can kind yeah. of avoid them for good bits of time. And then, but you're basically building up to the point where you can get the uh, the charge to your weapon to be able to actually kill them. Yeah, uh, which you know requires you kind of find a good area in the sort of Emmy zone that uh, allows you to kind of charge it up and take it out. Uh, but yeah, the 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 one real knock on those uh, Emmys is that when you are sort of first getting into their areas and you maybe have a couple of rooms mm-hmm. that you've been in, you can kind of see their little red dot kind of just freaking out because it knows where you're at, mm-hmm. but it knows it can't go that far away from you. Mm-hmm. So it just kind of freaks out and hovers around in these mm-hmm. different rooms. Yeah. And you're like, oh, you really don't know where to go. Uh, there's a couple areas where that kind of happens. You're like, well, this is kind of annoying. Yeah. Uh, and I'm generally fine with it because I like the stealth elements to it when you get the uh, the ability to kind of uh, have your stealth cloak so you can kind of yeah, get invisible. So you yourself, yeah. Uh, where you can't really do much or else you're going to run it out. You mm-hmm. energy for it. Because uh, it's always draining, but it drains slowly if you're just, you know, hanging on a from the ceiling or in a corner or whatever. Uh, but you can use that to uh, benefit to uh, hide pretty quickly if you mm-hmm. are using it smartly. Yep. Uh, but yeah, the the Emmys are a nice addition as to give you something that you can. Uh, it's a real threat to you. Because mm-hmm. everything else really isn't that much of a threat to you. Uh, mm-hmm. There may be occasional, you know, bosses or mini bosses, that kind of stuff. But that's not really what I'm talking about. Because uh, mm-hmm. the rest of the game, when it comes to enemies, they're there as fodder for filling you up with energy and uh, health and missiles, basically. Because if you can kill them or counter uh, them to kill them. Uh, that kind of stuff, you they just spit out tons of that stuff. Mm-hmm. So even in some of your worst areas, you can generally recover pretty decently, especially because they'll have you know specific parts of the map where it's just like, ah, oh, here's the thing that refills mm-hmm. your energy or your missiles or whatever. Uh, that kind of stuff. Uh, yeah, the game's a lot of fun. I guess I'm the only person that did not put it on my list. Because uh, it just fell just short of making my top ten. Yeah, uh, it's one of the last ones I cut, but it was a it's a fun game. Uh, I think maybe my issues are controls. I don't think are particularly great in the game, mm-hmm. especially when you get to you know your morph ball and that kind of stuff, uh, where you have to sit there and hit down a few times to go into the morph ball, mm-hmm. or if you're just trying to kneel instead for like a kneel shot, that kind of stuff. Mm. get a little hard and uh, there are occasional areas where uh, they have lips that you can grab onto for these areas to climb up Uh, but it's real easy to hit up and it tries to roll into a ball Mm. over it then you fall down Mm -hmm. you have to hit it for like a split second so that it registers that you want to grab onto it Mm. but not that you want to pull yourself up uh, there's a couple of areas where you kind of have to do that, jump on the other side and do like that a couple times. And it's like, oh, this is the most frustrating thing. Mm. And also, if you watch the, the video I did for this game, it is literally me leaving a save station mm-hmm. and trying to platform up this area. 
And the double jump I do not like in Metroid games because it is not really a double jump. Mm. It is a diagonal jump. Mm. So you have to hold a direction left or right to actually do the jump. Unlike every other game that has a double jump where you can hit jump twice mm. and get a an effect out of it. Uh, so there's a lot of that. And I, uh, in that video, I just ran myself into a spot where I had five health. And a big enemy was the only place I could get health from. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I had to... And there's like a lot of elements of the game that are... You know, there's like the ability to kind of parkour under enemies mm-hmm. at times, if you do it right. If not, you kind of fuck up. Mm. Uh, but yeah, we have five health, and you have a, a giant like mini-boss type enemy. Uh, it's not easy to recover from that kind of stuff, because the safe stations don't necessarily refill your health. Mm-hmm. At least this one doesn't. So it's like a, and it has like that the typical kind of Metroid problem of if you take a break and come back, you may not know where to go. Uh, unlike in Axiom Verge Two, where it kind of gives you a general area where you need to go, you can kind of figure out from there. Mm-hmm. Uh, Metroid Dread, uh, taking a break, it can be hard to figure out. Like, wait, what the fuck was I doing? Mm-hmm. So I had a good spot where I was trying to. Uh, do this like cinematic sequence it runs you through mm-hmm. uh, i failed and it was kind of late at night so i was like i'll i'll save and i'll come back later for this and when i came back uh the next day or a couple days later i had completely forgotten that was the thing that was going on mm-hmm. so i went and explored the entire map being like what the fuck am i supposed to do and i looked it up and it was like oh this is that sequence i didn't i failed at instead of you know just banging my head against it until I got past it kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's like, those are some of the only real issues I have with the game, but uh, the rest of it is pretty fun. The bosses are pretty inventive for the way they do things. Uh, usually multi-stage kind of bosses. Mm-hmm. Uh, occasionally, it can really do with like a health bar or some sort of indicator to tell you like, uh, you're actually progressing here, uh, but you need to keep doing this sequence you know, a few more times to actually beat the boss kind of thing. Cause there's a couple of bosses where it's like, am I supposed to keep doing this like elaborate sequence over and over again? Am I doing something wrong? Occasionally it doesn't necessarily give you the greatest indication that you're actually progressing that kind of stuff. So yeah, it, it kind of turns into a game where you're just kind of, uh, some of these bosses just kind of spamming missiles as much as you can while trying to, uh, do whatever things it does to give you some health back so you're not just draining health the entire time. But yeah, it's a it's a fun game. I kind of wish they had maybe fine-tuned the controls a little bit more because mm. uh, it feels like they are putting a lot on the typical Metroid control scheme at times. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's, it, it's funny. Like you mentioned your, your issue with the controls. Um, that's not an issue that, that I had at all, um, primarily because... I don't know. Having having played through uh, the remake for uh, Metroid Two: Samus Returns, um, that one felt like a whole uh, control mess. And Metroid Dread copies a lot of it, but um, for for some reason, it just like feels better. Um, I don't know if maybe, maybe you're console or I don't know. I'm 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 playing on on a on a handheld primarily because like that was the game that came with the OLED, and I wanted to use that. And I've I've mostly been playing the game in in planes because i i traveled quite a bit last year and yeah like aside from monster hunter rise um metroid dread was the main game that i played on my 
Um, I'm not as far into it as I'd like. That's why I ended up like uh, putting it on like three or four on my list when it easily could have been like the best or the second best. But you know, I I wanted like the the, the top of my list to definitely games that I've definitely uh, finished. And part of the reason why I I didn't finish this game aside from the fact that it's been my main travel game, it's hard. Um, yeah, I die a lot in this game. Whether it 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 be like you know the the, the Emmys or um, just a lot of the bosses, like I have struggled through this game, and I just refuse to look at a fact for it. And <laughs> I know it, it, it's a pride thing. Um, every Metroid game I've beaten um, is because I had my hand held by you know facts, and I want to be able to just say I can beat this on my own. And um, you know, I, I probably will get there. Um, again, like you know, I, I, I hate to make that promise to myself, but this game is definitely one that I always bring with me when wherever I go. Even I, uh, you know, don't touch my Switch or not. Um, but yeah, the best part about this game is that it's unapologetically, and that means a lot. It's strange, you know, in 2000, in, in, in 2021, like, you know, Metroid and uh, Halo are topping our lists like it's like it's 2002 again. But anyway, or 2003, whatever year that Metroid. Um, yeah, the game is unapologetically Metroid. Like, uh, it's all about getting lost all alone in this thing. And, like, all of a sudden, yeah, the game is Metroid Dread because, like, you dread, like, being found. Because if you're found, you're probably going to die. Like, mm -hmm. there is a way to go ahead and escape these Emmys, like, from the get-go, but you have to get the timing right. And it's almost impossible because, like, the um, the the cutscene always changes and it's easy to, like, to go ahead and press the X button and get the timing all wrong and uh, whatever it is. And then when you, when you get it right, you know, you're you're able to escape for a little while, and you still get lost in that part of the map, and they chase you again, and die, and you die again. Yeah, like it's 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 been that kind of case. And what I'm glad is, even though that there's a lot of dread in this game, I'm glad that um, it's not fully that. You know, like um, if if it was that the entire time, like I would be stressed to no end, where I would stop playing it for that reason. And I'm glad it didn't get to that point. You know, you're still backtracking to random places. You're still um, being fooled by the fact that the wall in front of you wasn't real. Um, mm -hmm. Like in my uh, in my piece, I put a, a meme screenshot there, like where you know the 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 safe station was like yelling at Samus for being lost for the stupidest of reasons. Because I have been lost for the stupidest of reasons. Mm -hmm. this game. It's really enjoyable to that point. Uh, Chris did mention something about Axiom Verge too. Like you know, if if, if you've had a long layoff from the game, go ahead and jump in. Not that lost because it, it 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 does a good job of like telling you where you are and whereas this one doesn't, and yeah, that's definitely a frustration. And I think part of what goes into that, like not to defend Nintendo here, and the fact that um this game has pretty much been in existence for more than a decade, but Nintendo just decided to come back to it now. I don't yeah. know whether it's they realized that you know um, Metroid is something that fans have wanted for the longest time. Evidently, it was this is the best Metroid the best-selling Metroid game of all time. Granted, it's not going to be in the top 10 of Nintendo financials once the Switch is over and done with, because that's just the kind of game Metroid is. Like, it's not, not approachable to newcomers. It's mm -hmm. um, This game starts in the middle. You're not going to know exactly what's happening, and uh, the game is hard. And, you know, that's all going to contribute to the game, like, being what it is in sales. But at the same time, the fact that it is the highest-selling Metroid means something. So, you know, once we finally get our metroid prime 3 trilogy going into part four like people are going to be excited for that and like it, it was very well deserving of you know best action adventure game in the game awards even though it was up against even more popular triple a titles on the bigger console like again metroid is back in a big way much like the way halo is and like the industry is better for it 
And like, if this was the the, the game I had to wait for because me- because Animal Crossing owned the world, like, I'm happy for it. Like, Metroid Dread, me- Metroid Dread is great. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. The the weird thing is like when you were mentioning the that you can like counter the Emmy when they catch you. They're trying to like stick you with the whatever their like jabby thing is, and yeah, it's gruesome. They mention like, oh, this is almost impossible, and I was like. I could do it like one out of every three times, one out of every four times, like pretty reliably. That's why I don't think it's necessarily like my uh, controls were like busted or anything. Okay, well, well, for for me, part of the struggle was like coming from a Metroid Prime or not the Metroid Prime, uh, Return of Samus was the parry. Uh, the parry was yeah. like an integral or integral part of the uh, the handheld game. Or of the, the 3DS game, and it was just hard to do. Whereas it's something yeah. you really, really need in uh, in Dread, and then eventually it becomes obsolete. So, yeah, yeah. It, I think in that game, it's probably more because that game was just so repetitive in that you were just taking out all of these Metroids, mm-hmm. that it probably lulls you into a place where you just kind of like just easily lose track of what you're doing. Whereas here they kind of keep you uh, more interested in what's going on. They're not throwing in the same enemy at you all the time. The bosses are different from each other. The areas are different, all that kind of stuff. Uh, and yeah, I didn't really get all that far into same as returns because my 3ds was busted. Mm. Uh, the shoulder buttons didn't work. The ones that they let you use are they required to use? They didn't use the other shoulder buttons if you're on a, a new 3DS. So that was kind of an annoying thing I had there. Is like there are no accessibility controls to let you remap things. And that can maybe be something they could have done here as well as like let you remap some stuff because there's uh, once you start getting like different uh, weapons and such that kind of just layer things on in a weird way that kind of gets uh, a bit complicated at times. Uh, though they do at least do the nice thing of having all of the controls documented mm. in the pause menu. Mm. So if you're like, I forget how to do this thing, you're like, oh, look it up. I'm like, oh, okay. Uh, it may take you time to figure out the exact way that works, but that kind of stuff. And yeah, like Nintendo's starting to, uh, their games are starting to suffer from their lack of accessibility options in most of their games. Mm. Like one of the only ones they have in this is like, oh, it's brightness because it's on an OLED screen now. Uh, that kind of thing, but there could be some things they could do with this game if they really wanted to to make it uh, a little bit more accessible without really breaking it in any way, but uh, yeah, that was uh, Metroid Dread. I was trying to think there was something else I had an issue with, but I forget, but uh, yeah, it's it's a very good game. Uh, mm-hmm. I like it a lot. Like for me, I've never really gelled with the Metroid games as much as I like the style with them. Metroid Prime is kind of the one that really struck a chord with me, and that's you know, mm-hmm. nothing like any of the 2D games. Yep. Uh, the way they control and all that. Uh, so that's kind of uh, a thing I'd mentioned on Let's Weekend. I started getting into Symphony of the Night, mostly because I just looked up a, a map that had all the location of all the items. So when I got stuck, I was like, okay, what am I missing here mm. that I have access to. It isn't just like a dumb area that I'm, you know, having trouble with that kind of stuff. And Metroid doesn't really have 
uh, that much of, of a, a map that's like filled with stuff. Mm-hmm. It's mostly like items are specifically placed. There's no like one-off items like Castlevania Symphony of the Night does. Mm-hmm. Um, I was like, oh, there's there's all these different kind of food, and some of them are like one-use mechanics that don't ever get used for anything else. Like that, like Metroid, everything is an item that is specifically there because that is when you're going to be able to access it by having this other item. Uh, and they have specific uses and all that kind of stuff. There's no, there's no fluff in Metroid games, mm-hmm. really. They're very much designed to only have what you need to actually progress. And what enemies are designed to uh, need to be beaten. Or simply like they're like, "Fuck it, we'll put all this weird shit in because who fucking cares anymore? Mm. This is a side game. Who cares about?" Symphony of the Night. That's not going to be the future of this series. <laughs> they were expecting Castlevania 64 to be the future of the series. Symphony of the Night was going to be this side project that would be a niche thing. Then they made like five more of those games, like Symphony of the Night. But uh, yeah, Metro Dread. Yeah, I am, I am interested in seeing like, um, I'm sure they will continue with like 2D Metroid like somewhere down the line, but you know, that about, you know what axiom verge does like you know just just again like this game has been in development and fit. like i want to see another 2d metro after learning what all these you know in metroid videos have done you know whether it's Bloodstone, um hollow knights you know axiom verge axiom verge especially like i feel like nintendo can like steal so many things from those games to make metroid even more awesome because like Again, like even as quote unquote old as this game was, it still felt modern. So. Mm-hmm. Well, this game isn't that old; it's a few years old. Uh, but they tried to make games called Metroid Dread over the past fifteen years a couple times. I just never figured out the way to go for that stuff. That's why they waited until they have a dev that made a Metroid game that wasn't, uh, you know, within Nintendo's grasp. I'm like, you do this. We don't know. What we tried to make Metroid Prime 4, and we couldn't do that. We had to give it to another team. Mm. Uh, so maybe we'll see that sometime this year, but I think the, the rumors are they're going to do a remake of Metroid Prime 1. Mm-hmm. Which is like, cool, but there's also two other games after that. Not to mention, Metroid Prime 1 has aged well enough where it's still playable. So. Yeah. Speaking of which, uh, we know that, you know, there is first-person Metroid game in the works, so... Yeah. Metroid Prime 4. Mm-hmm. Which was announced have... four years ago. Yeah. Five years ago, actually. It was like 2017. And if that rumor is the reason why we haven't gotten the trilogy. Yeah, that'd be nice. I have the trilogy on my Wii U. I think it was on sale at one point on the eShop. The one time it was probably on sale. I might have to check it out because I've only played one and probably realistically not even more than like a handful of hours mm. just for the way that I probably played it. I pre-ordered three, but never picked it up. Mm. That was a whole weird situation where GameStop like created a separate account yeah. for pre-order for me. That I never understood why they would do that instead of the one I had already. Mm-hmm. That was a weird era of GameStop where it wasn't tied into like an actual account. It was just here's a profile you can pre-order with. Mm-hmm. They can just create millions of them. Yep, they don't give a shit. But uh, yeah, that is uh, that's gonna be it for the games of the year. Metroid Dread is our number one 
Uh, but if you haven't played any of these 10 games, they're definitely worth checking out. Mm-hmm. Uh, we'll be back next week uh, with a new slate of news as 2022 starts to kick off in proper fashion. Yep. We have a couple of releases happening here with God of War and Monster Hunter Rise mm-hmm. uh, happening on PS or PC. Yep. They're releasing, I think, the Uncharted collections happening in a few weeks. Later this month, there's Pokemon Legends. Mm-hmm. Uh, some decent games coming out later this month, so uh, curious to see how that stuff goes. But yeah. Uh, that is it for us this week. Thank you to Brandon Danner for joining. We'll be back next week with a new slate of news and such to talk about. Yeah, thank you everybody for listening. Uh, we will see you all next week. Have a good one.